we all know it's coming and it's not gonna be pretty. It's great to have storable food, but when that runs out, what are you gonna do? Your best defense against the coming apocalypse is to have seeds so you can grow your own food. So I've been looking for various different seeds for the last couple of years. And off the bat, almost all seed companies are the same, as long as they're non-GMO, heirloom, yada, yada. But it's the following years that really concern me. So I bought a whole bunch of seeds last year. And when you get seeds, there's, there's a lot of seeds in a pack, a whole lot. You're probably not gonna use them all if you have a small garden. So you wanna make sure they last again the following year. So the best company I found for these seeds is called Survival Essentials. And when you go on their webpage, it says, your best defense against the coming apocalypse. So go to survival-essentials.com, save 10% with promo code DEFIANT and get ready because we're gonna need to eat. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't trust the food in the grocery store anymore. I don't trust it unless I can plant the seed with my own hands and watch it grow with my own eyes and know where it's coming from and feed it to my family. So survival-essentials.com, promo code DEFIANT, saves you 10%. justice for all. Time to resist. They can't arrest us all, 
And they can't keep all your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and feckless bureaucrats. We can simply say no, not again. The only way to stop these mandates is to refuse to comply, refuse to show vaccine passports, refuse to wear a mask, refuse to stay at home. We will not comply with Fauci. We will not comply with Joe Biden. And we will not comply with authoritarian governors. I am not going to comply. This ends now. understand. A figure walking through the mist with a rifle in his hand. His clothes were torn and dirty as he stood there by the bed. He took off his three-cornered hat and speaking low, he said, We fought a revolution to secure your liberty. We wrote the Constitution as a shield from tyranny. For future generations, this legacy we gave to make you the land of the free and home of the brave. The freedoms we secured for you, we thought you'd always keep. But tyrants labor endlessly. While your parents were asleep, now your freedom's gone. Your courage is lost. You're no more than a slave in your land of the free and home of the brave. You buy permits to travel, permits to own a gun, permits to start a business or build a place for one. On land you think you own, you pay your yearly rent, but you don't have a voice in saying how that money's spent. Now your children attend a school that doesn't educate, and your Christian values can't be taught according to the state. You read about your current news in a regulated press and pay more taxes than you owe to that thing called IRS. Your money's no longer made of silver or of gold. You trade your wealth for paper so your life can be controlled. And you pay for crimes that make your nation turn from God in shame. Now you've taken Satan's number and traded in your name. You give your government control to those who could do you harm. So they could padlock churches and steal the family farm and keep the nation deep in debt while putting men of faith in jail and then harass your fellow countrymen while your corrupt courts prevail. Your public servants don't uphold the solemn they've sworn. And now your daughters visit doctors so their children won't be born. You send guns and artillery to foreign shore. And then you send your youth to slaughter, fighting other people's wars. Could you regain the freedoms for which we fought and died? Or have you lost your courage and your faith to stand with pride? Are there no more values for which you fight to save? Or do you wish your children to live in fear and be a slave? And people of this republic, it's time to rise and take a stand. Defend the Constitution, the supreme law of your land. Preserve your great republic and every God-given right. And 
let us pray to God to keep that torch of freedom burning bright. Please stock up. 
Election gets rigged, rights get infringed Take this syringe, frighten your kids Show up right where you live Make me wanna grab a rifle and just go You act like you're so much better than us Yeah, we know that Who told you that you so special To a new world order Your facts ain't facts without censoring us Yeah, we know that Good job, you lose, here's your medal and everyone blames white folks for every little bitty thing We don't have no one to blame, we take responsibility They tell you be a man, then call it toxic masculinity Then when you act too feminine, they call it white fragility I don't understand trans man with humility I'm just trying to raise my kid the best of my ability If I disagree, you try to cancel, get rid of me You cancer, you can't be the answer, you killing me And I hate white supremacy just as much as you But I ain't feeling guilty for something I didn't do The system's killing everyone, it sucks, but it's true They kill you, then they broadcast it Call it the news Or they'll brainwash you through social media feeds And if you disagree, delete you immediately Make America China pretty easy to see I will always remember the land of the free You act like you're so much better than us Yeah, we know that Who told you that you so special To a new world order Your facts ain't facts without censoring us Yeah, we know that Good job, you lose, here's your medal and welcome back friends to another episode of freedom gardens oh it's a fun day um yes lens i uh i did get one of the cattle panels in and then the new zelda game came out and now i will say the teenager did work and save up money, although he does still owe his dad a battery, um, and bought himself the new Zelda game yesterday. And uh, we saw him for about five minutes for dinner. And then I just saw him again for the first time about five minutes ago. But uh, he is off of school on Monday because he took some of his, am his exams last week, his AP classes. So he will be helping me install the other cattle panels as well as some new... Um, higher fencing in the West Garden uh, on Monday. So he's promised me two hours. And we got the first one in together. Once we figured it out, didn't take that long. So yeah, two hours. So anyway, we'll we'll dig some holes and install some cattle panels and or a cattle panel and some fencing and some posts and all kinds of good stuff because the gardens are huge. Unfortunately, we have not gotten all the rain that Louisiana got, although we're expecting some showers this afternoon. It's just kind of being like cloudy and overcast. Um, I was able to take the sunshield off of the South Garden, although that all bloomed up with it on. So that was good. And uh, yeah, so anyway, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. And I got to tell you, I'm between the electroculture and the chicken shit compost, I mean, wait till you guys see the difference and how quickly this stuff is growing. It's it's really insane. Um, so let's get into it. The stream seems to be running a lot better today. We did switch one of the functions back that um, we had changed when we were on with the uh, StreamYard guy the other day. So hopefully I want to see if this will work the way that he told us. See if it fucks it up or not. We'll see. So I'm going to start with the West Garden on Thursday so that you guys can see what it looked like then. 
just this past Thursday, right? May 11th. Uh, right, y'all. This is rather insane. Uh, today is Thursday, May 11th. My last video on this garden was last Saturday, so five days ago. Holy shit. And since then, I harvested all the greens. Can't even tell. Anyway, starting here. Look at that. My cucumbers are starting to trellis up. I'm actually gonna have to put another layer of fencing up on here because it's not high enough, I've realized. So there's those cucumbers. Sunflower is gonna bloom here soon. This pepper is about to start blooming. These beans are insane, just insane. And the beets and cauliflower inside is kind of struggling because these beans are just shading everything out. I mean, they're gigantic. The eggplant have gone nuts. I planted them a week ago. Um, and the little ones too, like these were from seed. Normally eggplant takes two years. No, apparently not. Then these peppers are, are crazy too. Yeah. And this Thai pepper is going to start giving me fruit here in a few minutes, a few days. These greens I have to harvest again. Just crazy. The okra is crazy. The squash with the corn in the middle. God damn. Coming over here. These guys are going nuts. This pepper in here is giving me all kinds of good Tabascos. It's kind of getting shaded out by the beans and the squash there. These radishes are gonna need to get pulled soon. They're almost ready. Give them another week or two, but they're so tall. Some of this cabbage is now just starting to come up. Those are doing better. That bok choy I just harvested. You can't tell. Same with the mustard greens and the collard greens. Okay, here we go. The peppers. We have our first green pepper growing. Yeah, actually two. There's another one right there. Yeah, lots of peppers. Okra's doing well here. And then I just harvested these greens as well. Not again, that you can tell because I obviously need to do it again. But harvesting them gives the littler leaves underneath a chance to grow up big, which is what they've done. So pick those and start the cycle over. Um, yeah. Again, I planted this garden from seed five weeks ago. Five weeks ago, I put seeds and transplanted the pepper plants from last year in the ground. Peppers are transplants. Everything else is from seed. Five weeks ago. Electroculture works, y'all. So, that was two days ago, okay? Watch this. This is this morning. All right, on to the West Garden. Now, remember y'all that this garden is a month younger than the East Garden. 
doesn't really matter. The difference is this does get a little bit more sunlight and I used chicken shit compost in here rather than compost, older compost that I purchased last year. So starting right off the bat with my cucumbers. Holy shit, they're huge. Sunflowers and marigolds. Those haven't started yet, but look, these are brand new flowers and cucumbers in there behind it. So that wasn't there two days ago. We're gonna have so many cucumbers. Those were and like a whole level or two later this days afternoon ago. or on Monday, all these flowers, I'll be putting a whole nother level of fencing above this because it's already grown all the way up it and it needs to go higher, have more support. So cucumbers, oh my God, we're gonna have so many cucumbers. Look at those guys, all this fruit starting. Okay, and then beans and peas, beans and peas everywhere. So I planted some peppers, some little baby peppers in here. One there, one there, one there, another one there, there, there. And they will grow pretty quickly. Cause if you remember last week I planted those guys and they're about the size of that. And now they're like that. So there's the eggplant more better view of the cucumbers. Wow, so nice. Peppers. I don't wanna step in my peppers, obviously. I have to harvest these herbs really soon too, so those can grow up bigger. But peppers, I've got mammoth jalapenos growing back there. You see them? And more peppers about to start here. Now, when I planted these a week ago, I put those supports at the level of the pepper. So that was down there a week ago. Look how fast they're growing, all of those. Like I had to go all the way down in order to just support the plant. And now it's that big. That Thai pepper, hot Thai pepper, will be producing really soon. But these beans are insane, okay? Again, the cauliflower inside is kind of struggling because these beans are just insane. But we're starting to get beans. Lots of beans. Which is good. My kids like the new beans. I mean, beans everywhere. So, that's a lot of beans. Those pepper plants are doing well. That one, that one's about to flower too. I'm gonna have to weed this clover. The problem is, well, this is all weeds. In here somewhere are herbs and I don't wanna pull the herbs. I just wanna pull the weeds. Weeds kinda took over here. Those are doing well though marshmallow root so some of the herbs are coming up in here but again more beans oh and my tabasco needs more sun to turn red though i'll have to do something about that hello peanut butter all right Squash and corn. 
Good God, it's so big. Um, I don't know what that is. That might be kale in the middle there. Anyway, the corn's growing. The squash is huge. I mean, just huge. I can't even step in here anymore. And it's completely getting to these radishes. It's okay, radishes have another week or two. And then I'll pull those and leave that open for the squash to grow. This, these melons too, everything got so big this week, it's just crazy. That cabbage is actually growing. Bok choy, I harvested a week ago, not even. Same thing with the collard greens and the mustard greens. They're huge, just huge. Peppers, we have our first peppers, wow. That guy's gotten so big in just two days, it's not even funny. More over there, peppers everywhere. These peas are coming up. These melons are working their way out in the back. I harvested these salad greens the other day. I need to do them again. Okra is coming up nicely. Got more peppers growing there and there and there. And coming up in here. Mick's gonna be able to make his salsa soon. Okay. Mustard greens, collard greens. Or maybe it's the other way around, I'm a Yankee, I have no idea. Ah, oh, radishes. Again, leggy, but that's okay. And then okra in here. These squashes are huge as well. They haven't even started to flower yet. Not like the cucumbers in the front. So, yeah, we're gonna have so much food. Love it. So the thing with the chicken shit compost is, obviously everything grows like mad in it. Um, but you have, I have random peas and corn and, and things popping up where I didn't plant them, that kale, that big piece of kale in, in the middle of uh, the squash that just, that was organic, came up from the chicken shit compost. So, um, and again, how I, I make my chicken shit compost all winter and actually I'll be doing it again here soon. So even in the spring, like we clean up all the leaves and uh, throw them all in the chicken enclosure, that big wooden structure that's behind the garden and let the chickens have at it. And they, you know, they dig in it and, eat all the good stuff out and compost it down. And then about six months later, I dig it out and start again. So um, I got to start the digging out process here. So let's see what we got next. Um, all right. Ooh, so this is how I start my morning. This is fun. You guys will enjoy this. Good morning, everyone. Oh my God, the deer flies are ridiculous. There's so many of them. <sighs> Good morning, babies. Good morning, chickens and duckies. Are you ready to come out? Come on out. It's the bird stampede. Come on. Out everybody comes. Out you go. All right. 
Deer flies galore and they bite. They hurt. Let's see what we got for eggs. I put some fake eggs in the coop so that the ducks would start laying in here and it seems to have worked. So those two are fake. This is a duck egg. Plus they all went in one spot and I wanted them to expand. That's a duck egg. There we go. Okay. God. Uh, the other two duck eggs in with these fake eggs here. So they're fake eggs and then two duck eggs. So all the ducks laid last night or early this morning. And three chicken eggs so far. They lay throughout the day though. Yesterday we got eight and the day before. So we'll probably get seven today. Chickens don't lay every single day. Good morning, babies. How's everyone doing this morning? Duckies! All right. They're so much fun. Um, right now, Mark, I get about, uh, I get seven or eight chicken eggs every day. Now that we've gotten um, cookie from laying in the tarps on top of the duck enclosure, uh, she's actually laying in the coop. So I get seven or eight chicken eggs every day and four duck eggs almost every day. I mean, my ducks lay every day. So, uh, which is damn good for ducks, to be honest, because the khaki Campbell's, really do lay every day in the summer. The Rowans don't necessarily lay every day in the summer, but these guys have been. So I get a ton of duck eggs, ton of duck eggs. So let's start with the, did that, here we go. All right, so the East Garden. Now this is the first garden I planted. This is, uh, let's see, and it's, it's 12 total. Mark, because if you think about it, 11 or 12 total because the four duck eggs, of course, Mark or Nick can't eat the duck eggs because they make him really upset to his stomach. So the dogs get most of those. I sell some, but uh, yeah, seven chicken eggs is, is really good. I'm like, I'm up to my elbows and chickens, chicken eggs. So, and I want more chickens because that's how that works. But anyway, so uh, this is the this is the oldest garden, the first garden I planted, and it's planted in most of it's planted in compost from last year. Uh, last fall, I ordered three yards of compost, local compost, and had it delivered. Um, so this is this is from that. So here we go on this one. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the East Garden. Little update. It is Saturday morning just before the show starts. So let's see how everything's gotten growing. Hello, P. Uh, Opal. Hello, Opal. Coming to visit? Okay. So the turnips are doing well. Starting to pop up a little bit and they have another couple weeks to go. This one's getting almost ready to go right in here. Then these radishes 
are doing pretty well. They need another couple weeks too. A week or two, we'll get there. This kohlrabi's coming up nice. Those beets are starting to grow. Carrots too. And then these radishes are getting really big. So I'll probably harvest these in the next mm, couple days and replace them with tomatoes that are in the back. The radishes that were here have already been pulled and here's the tomatoes in their place. So they were different sizes when I planted them and I'll fertilize them here soon. All the chickens and the duckies. Lovage is doing well. Oh, and these onions are starting to pop too. These bunching onions are about done. Normally when I harvest the bunching onion, onions, um, I do them like one at a time as they break. You can see where I picked them off there, but I'll be pulling them all soon. And then these tomatoes are doing well. And these as well. So we made a little change to the garden because I realized that the teepee um, trellis that I had was not gonna be strong enough. So we put in our first cattle panel. The second one will be going in probably Monday, uh, right here. I can only get the child to help me with one at a time. <laughs> it's always a struggle. Anyway, uh, beans back here. Oh, look at those guys. There we go. All those beans are coming up nicely. I'm tempted to pick them now, but I wanna see how big they grow. They have a little bit longer. They'll get a little bit longer. So, then in here, these will get big enough to trellis up there. There's more space between them than I'd like, but I could only bend the cattle panel so much and I only had so much space to do it in, so. That's fine. Next year, we'll plant them closer to the edge of the cattle panel. But they're already starting to fruit and flower. So, flower and fruit, as it were. These carrots are doing awesome, too. Those salad greens in the middle. <clears throat> and then more of those. So, we're going to have cucumbers galore. That's good. Mick likes his pickles. That cattle panel has to go in soon because these guys are looking for something to hang on to. So those beets are doing pretty well there. And these beans, this guy needs to get cut back. That leaf is dead. But see, beans growing there too. I did pick some the other day, but I think I'm gonna wait before I pick any more. Let them get as big as they get. We'll see how big they get. So tomatoes. I had to tie these guys up some more because they were getting very big. Got tomatoes all over the place growing here. So, and beans, uh, peas too. Lots of peas. Look at these guys, lots of peas in there. And I'm thinking the same thing. I'm gonna wait until they get, see how big they get. This kohlrabi, this kohlrabi is huge. And there's other ones in there too and beets. And this broccoli is finally growing. So more peas over there. Look at those guys. So get my trusty. Yeah. <clears throat> then the borage has started sprouting with the marigolds. Good, keep the bugs away. 
the potatoes especially need it. They're starting to get eaten. So the marigolds will go a long way towards helping with that. <clears throat> I'll start picking some of the borage leaves and just making a tincture of borage water. It really helps with uh, everything from nausea to blood flow, ADHD. It tastes like cucumbers. I love borage, it's really good. Then okra coming up in here. Tiny Tim tomatoes in here. You see those guys? The marigolds in front. And then we've got parsley, all the herbs in here with the salad greens, parsley, oregano, and look at those grapes. Ah, beautiful. I gotta cut this rosemary back for it to grow up again, nice and big and bushy, like this lavender is here. This blueberry's hanging in there. And that mint, that mint, if you remember, uh, actually came out of my arrow garden, but mint will grow anywhere. So I could transplant it into the dirt, no problem. Those peas are growing up here, those grapes there. Those grapes will chill us up this too. So it'll almost connect like the grape arbor to the cattle panel. Grapes get really big. More parsley back there. It's gonna be an herb harvest day here very soon. I need to do herbs and salad greens. Um, that little tomato's growing. These guys are struggling, but I moved all the crap that was in front of it, so. Hello, Opal and Emmy. So, uh, they should get bigger here soon as they'll be getting more sunlight. Then, sunflowers and tomatoes, rutabaga, right there, these potatoes, probably have another month. This mammoth basil is getting big right now, and these salad greens are almost ready to be harvested again, at least the bigger leaves give the little ones a chance to grow up. This corn is doing great. I've had random shoots of cilantro come up in the middle that I didn't plant, but I'm going to leave them. The tomatoes there I did plant, and the squash is next to them. So you see tomato and squash amongst the corn. It's the traditional companion planting, tomato, squash, and corn. So, And the corn was planted in a spiral. So there we go. And this herb bed here, herbs keep the bugs away from my lettuces. Supposed to work for the kale too, but maybe not so much. Um, something ate them a little bit, but I'll harvest those too. They need to get picked off so that the ones underneath can grow. But we've got cilantro, oregano, mint is crazy, Thai basil in the back, all over. Brussels sprouts, oh, and asparagus, first year asparagus. So that'll all have to die back. Uh, and then we'll get actual asparagus stalks next year. Brussels sprouts, onions, wild corn popped up in the middle. I put some chicken shit compost over here. And look at that, I got corn in the middle of my onions, but I'll leave them there. And then check this out, y'all. We have our first squashes growing. See that? Nice. And another one in there. 
Look at that. We'll have more. All of these flowers will turn into squashes and hopefully grow up this. So that is doing great. Marshmallow root right in the front here. And these are just about to start flowering. These I planted later though, like two weeks later than those. So these have some time. Same thing with the salad greens underneath and they get a lot more shade, but it's about to get really hot. So that's okay. And these melons too, starting to trail up that nicely. So that is the West Garden. So that again was the first garden that I planted and it is, uh, not as big as the second garden, not as big as the, actually that's the East garden, not as big as the West garden, but, um, still it'll do better in the heat of the summer cause it gets more shade. Um, which is why I planted the tomatoes in there and the peppers in the other one. So then, all right, here's the one I just planted. Check it out. The chicken feed garden is starting to sprout. Beans and squash, corn and squash, amaranth grain, I, beets. I don't even know what I planted in half these places, to be honest. Okra, maybe. Um, it's coming. It's all coming up. So the chickens and the duckies will have a lot to eat, too. So all that, everything in there will be for the chickens and the ducks to eat. That is their exclusive garden um, so that everything else will be for us. That'll be for them. They do really like green beans too. So, and then I won't have to uh, buy as much chicken feed. That's kind of the point. So let's see how this works if I set up a couple at a time. Um, let's see. Okay, let's try this. First of our berries are starting to ripen. Of course, I had to put bird netting up around this because otherwise they would eat them before we could. And then the strawberries roots are starting to pop up too. So we'll have strawberries through here. That blueberry transplanted well. Those sunflowers are actually starting to sprout. So, and more berries back there. Lots of berries. Cool. All right. And then, you know, I was so concerned that the raccoons had gotten the gosling and I saw him again. And here he is. Look at the baby. I guess the raccoons didn't get it. You just didn't see it for a few days. But it's definitely the same one because it's getting bigger. Bye, geeseys. They're so cute. There's another pecan tree right there, like the other one on the other side, but bigger. Oh, hold on. Actually. There's a different one I need to play first before that. So 
um, that Gosling is so cute. And apparently his parents are taking care of him, so I don't have to steal him, which I was really tempted to do because he's so freaking cute. Um, but they're they're doing well with him, so. Okay. Let's do this one first. Let's talk about trees. Fruit trees are a great resource. You can plant them anywhere. Most of them are self-pollinating now. They don't take up a lot of space and they continue to provide you with an excellent source of vitamins. So we have uh, a nine pound lemon tree here. Okay. And then a Mansuto lemon here, which is like a Meyer lemon, but sweeter. Got a pecan over here. And got a nice willow tree here, although it's not a fruit tree, it does help keep the pond down. Walk over here, planted a whole side of fruit trees. Well, actually, planted coffee trees. Oh my God, deer flies. That's another willow tree. We call this Gator Cove. Coffee tree. Gator likes to sit there. So, I ordered coffee trees and it came with 11 in one, five in another, and nine in a third in a three pack. So I ended up with 25 coffee tree plants. So, coffee trees, okay? So they fruit as a, looks like a cherry, and the coffee beans are inside, and you pop them out, you can eat the cherry fruit. If you've ever had coffee cherry juice, it's really good, and has caffeine in it too. And, uh, and then you roast the coffee beans. So in a couple years, I'm gonna have a whole field of coffee trees right here. A couple years will give me nuts. There's another pecan tree right there, like the other one on the other side, but bigger. A couple years will give me nuts. Think about farming as you think in terms of years, not seasons. At least for a lot of things. Over here, we have a fig tree. And I have figs growing. Check them out. Little figs. That'll be fun. This mostly needs to get ripped up and torn out. But for now, it's a project for another day. All right. This is a cherry tree. It's little yet, but it's hanging in there. And then, this is also a cherry tree. So again, a couple gears, they'll give me good fruit. These two orange trees, can't plant right now because they have oranges growing on them and a lot of them so I have to wait until I pick the oranges and then plant them right in between this one only has a few oranges growing on it but it's still fruiting these little guys right here little guys right there but it's getting there so oranges 
And for now, they're fine in their pots. All right, so then. If you remember, the ducks stuck their heads through and ate the whole last row of that salad bed. So I replanted it and I put some fencing in there and I just planted some flowers actually in here. So I'm waiting on those to sprout up. Look at that tomato, it's coming up in there. Um, There it is, that's a cherry tomato y'all. Seriously. Anyway, lemongrass in here, these blue blueberries transplanted and that butterfly bush. So yeah, a nice little garden outside the garden to keep the chickens and the ducks off the garden. So, and then let's go back over to the container garden. Yeah, the chicken feed. Oh. Nope, that wasn't what I wanted. All right. There it is. Here we go. All right, container garden. So we got coffee trees. So I bought a three pack of coffee trees and it came with like um, 11 coffee seedlings in one five and another and nine and the third. So I have coffee trees everywhere. Coffee trees, strawberries, strawberries and sweet potatoes, lemon trees there, these strawberries. Ooh, this one is almost ripe. Another day on that one. So strawberries are starting to come up. See, they're starting to flower in there. And right there and starting to re-root. So I can actually cut this and root a new strawberry plant out of it, right there. See, the roots are already growing. Just stick it in some water. You'll have roots in a few days and then you stick it in the ground. So I'll do that probably on Monday. Tomatoes, potatoes. These potatoes are starting to die back already. So another two to three weeks and they're done. Um, I could probably dig in there right now and get some new potatoes, but like potatoes without skins, but they take two to three weeks to get good skins on them and then harden. This is a mandarin orange tree, a big pot. Uh, tomatoes and basil, tomatoes and basil. Look at those tomatoes. The ones next to the electroculture antennas seem to be doing a lot bigger, a lot better. More coffee trees, coffee trees, tomatoes, that transplant didn't take there. It's okay, I have plenty more. These are all tomatoes. Some of these will grow in the ground in the East Garden. Um, some of them will stay in pots. They can all be transplanted again because none of them have started flowering or fruiting yet, uh, except for that one right there. That one will stay in a pot. So, more tomatoes, more tomatoes. This is last year's tomato right here. He's about six and a half feet tall right now. Got some little cherry tomatoes growing on right there. More potatoes here. Oh, here's another tomato that's starting to fruit already. Right there. So getting a flower on that one. Another one here. Strawberries. More strawberries rerooting. So I'll be getting a lot of strawberry plants off of these. Here, 
in the next couple days. We'll put them in water. I could do the same thing with the sweet potatoes. Cut them and get more sweet potatoes. And I probably will root these guys out because there's a lot of them here. Look how big these guys are growing already. I mean, these were so small the other day. I, I planted these just a couple days ago. They're huge. Um, then these potatoes are dying back right now. So again, a couple weeks. As are these. And they have finished flowering. The flowers died back, so two to three weeks on those. Same thing with these. These potatoes are actually um, quite a bit younger than these, like by a couple of weeks. So they actually have probably another month before they're done. And then the butterfly bush, just pollinators over here. So, oh, and grapefruit trees. So I started these grapefruits from seed. And the thing about fruit trees from seed is you have to take the seeds right out of the fruit, pop it right into the ground or into your seed pot or wherever you're gonna grow it in. Um, because otherwise you can't dry them out like you can tomatoes and peppers for seeds. Uh, you, you really have to plant the seeds fresh in order for them to propagate. And I got some salad greens growing up with this tomato too. And some basil in there. So there we go. So that is the container garden. So I'll uh, circle the container garden through. So a lot of those tomatoes will go into the East Garden, the tomato garden. Um, and then uh, I'll plant some, I'll start more seedlings because I've figured out I have to start seedlings monthly. monthly. And uh, yeah, so we'll go from there. And then I'll put more seedlings in the containers and we'll keep rotating through. So we will have a constant supply of food. And then... The fruit garden. Finally, the south garden. This needs to be weeded. But you see the sunflowers coming up here. And the kale. The Swiss chard. Definitely needs to be weeded, though. I'll probably plant another kale in there. This herb bed is starting to sprout. The sweet potatoes are taking, too. So basil, parsley, oregano, thyme, uh, I don't know, chives, um, coriander, chervil, all in here. I have no idea what dug that hole. A little concerning. Melons, waiting on those to pop. Purple basil, check that out. I'm excited for some purple basil. We're gonna have purple basil pesto. That's gonna be awesome. Then, you know how I had to put the, uh, the cover on this guy because he was getting burned out? It worked. Now we're getting fruit. So we'll even have cucumbers. Look at that tiny little cucumber guy. Seriously, he's already fruiting and growing a cucumber and he's like three inches tall. And this guy too. These are much bigger fruits. Um, bigger melons. But fruiting. I want to say about watermelons or pumpkins. Watermelons, I think. And growing down just like I wanted it to. 
boras and sunflowers. Waiting on those melons and strawberries to pop. Those sunflowers are about to bloom as well. And then in here, look, our blueberries are turning blue or bluer. And these sweet potato vines keep popping up more than what I initially planted, which tells me they're growing well in there. This lime tree, as soon as I planted it here, started fruiting almost immediately. So, or started flowering almost immediately. So we have a couple of limes on here now. It's good. It's rosemary here, also needs to be cut back. And there's still these tiny little strawberry shoots that are hanging on in there, if you can see them. So they will grow over the years and we'll have strawberries come through here. So that is the South Garden. So there we go. That's where I'm at with the gardens. Um, yeah. So on that video, file share worked pretty well. I'm worked better than I expected considering what happened last night with the stream. So maybe it was that function in Google or maybe our evening time slot is just too much traffic, but we'll see. Anyway, um, let's, where is, there it is. Let's see. I want to try and uh, see if I can do it this way. Do our tribute. And hmm, there it is. See if that works too. So, you want to get high? Always the question of the day. Hmm. We're sorry, the number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is Thunder. 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 Thunder kicks.
knocks on your door, what do we tell him? Knobber. <laughs> Give him a knobber. Oh, FBI Bob.
you Mary Jane. FBI knocks on your door. What do we tell him? Nah, bear. Nah, bear. <laughs> nah, bear. Nah, bear. Oh, FBI, Bob. Oh, we miss that man every single day. Yeah. Uh, my shirt says, uh, sorry I'm late. The chickens were out. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> I'm always chasing the damn chickens, especially because they like to go across the street all the time. We have three acres on one side of the road and they always have to go across the street, but it is what it is. Anyway, um, last little video before we uh, move on to the second part of the show, uh, which is all about fluoride. You'll see. All right, two things I'm very excited about here. First off, sweet potatoes. Sweet potato slips can be kind of hit or miss if you just cut them down and then put them in the ground, like about half of them took in the chicken garden. But if you cut them and you put them in water, look at that. They root and then you can grow them in something else. Literally took like two days for these cuttings to start rooting. So we'll be planting lots more sweet potatoes and then elderberry bush. So I had, I got elderberry cuttings and I literally put them in water in a vase out in the sun. And look at this, they're already starting to bud. I was worried about that one. There it goes. This one hasn't started yet, but that one just did. So it'll take about another six weeks or so for the bottoms to grow roots, but they are already budding up here, which is excellent. So we will have elderberry bushes as well. I'm so excited for elderberry wine and elderberry syrup and elderberry tincture and everything elderberry. So I should have seven or eight elderberry bushes, depending on if that last cutting buds or not. So uh, right now I have seven that have budded. So that's pretty damn good out of eight cuttings. So, um, <clears throat> so anyway, so you guys have heard us talk about fresh, fresh mouth toothpaste before you've, uh, or seen Larry come on our show and talk about it, right? I've kind of been on this no fluoride kick for a long time. I never really liked water anyway. So um, I went off of fluoride toothpaste a long time ago. 
I was disturbed when I found out that like Tom's of Maine and um, the, the other one, HelloFresh had been bought out by Colgate and Crest. So yeah, I was like, okay. So when we found Fresh Mouth, I was very excited. Um, I got Mick off the fluoride as well. We started distilling our water. It's made a huge difference in our lives. And I knew fluoride was bad, but I didn't quite know how bad it was. So the other day I was listening to uh, the Health Range Report, Mike Adams podcast, and he had on this guy who'd done a documentary about fluoride called Fluoride Poison on Tap. And then lo and behold, Lana played it on her show the other day. And I was like, oh shit, yesterday, I think, right? Um, and uh, I know we have a lot of crossover audience, but uh, I know we have a lot of people here that aren't on pills um, or that will be listening later. And so I, uh, I asked Liana for the link to that documentary called fluoride poison on tap, and we will be playing it right now because I'll tell you guys what, this is probably one of the most disturbing things I I've ever seen or heard. Okay. Um, I can't, once you guys watch this and please, if you've, if you've already seen it, watch it again. I guarantee you, you're going to get even more information out of it because the first time you watch it, it blows your mind. Um, or if, you know, if your mom's there for mother's day and she hasn't seen it yet, bring her on in or send this link out right now, share it with people that you think would be interested in this. Everybody should be interested in this. This concerns every single person in America. I mean, this is insane. And this documentary was made, I want to say in 2015, and it could have been made yesterday. Some of the terms you'll hear, you've heard very recently applied to other things. Okay. It shows you how everything is planned. Um, and in saying that, before we get to that documentary, I do want to say I, I dropped two things in our podcast chat, which is the Patriot Party podcast or Patriot Party pod chat on Telegram. Okay, if you're not on tel- if you're not in there on Telegram, please go and and join in there. Um, you can look in the the show notes um, on like uh, Apple or whatever, or just look up Patriot Party Pod Chat in Telegram. Um, one is the interview that Russell Brand did with RFK. And the other is a presentation that Dr. David Martin gave to the EU just recently. Uh, and I'm, I'm seriously considering sitting down and, and splicing the two of them together into one presentation, lining up the timelines of what the things they talk about, because what they've laid out there is everything that I've told you guys for, for two years, as far as the planning, where it comes from. I mean, literally it put it all together. Um, and that will also blow your mind, but everything is planned. Nothing is, there are no coincidences. Do your own research, make this go viral. (laughs) Um, so, uh, watch this documentary, please. And, uh, share it with your friends and it will blow your mind. So here we go.
Disclaimer, the views expressed in this documentary film, Fluoride, Poison on Tap, are solely based on the opinions of Framing the World Productions. The individuals and corporations in this film are in no way associated with the final hypothesis and therefore do not necessarily agree with the opinions expressed. It's Mr. Tooth Decay here. You know, making cavities used to be easy, but it's getting harder now. And mostly because of... Grass! Grass bites cavities, so I'm gonna bite grass! Now, grass got fluoride in it, and grass is always telling people to watch the beats, have checkups, and brush off it with grass! Fluoride. It is hailed by the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention as one of the 10 great public health achievements of the 20th century. In fact, for over 60 years, the American Dental Association has stated that brushing with fluoride toothpaste will prevent tooth decay. But is this true? Is there more to the story than what we've been told? Triumph over tooth decay. Procter & Gamble announces Crest Toothpaste with Floristan, its exclusive fluoride compound, world's greatest weapon against decay. Look, Mom, no cavities. Yes, Crest Toothpaste really cuts down cavities because Crest has fluoride, the same fluoride dentists put right on teeth to prevent decay. With Crest, you put this fluoride on your teeth at home, too. Prevent cavities. Use Crest. Crest is accepted by the American Dental Association. Today, 95% of the toothpaste sold in the United States contains fluoride, and 72% of all water is fluoridated. Fluoride is safe and effective and it's one of the most inexpensive ways to really cut down on dental decay. Anything we can do to help prevent cavities on children I think is very important. Absolutely, fluoride is safe, it's effective. Fluoridation of community water is extremely safe and extremely effective in preventing tooth decay. Science is on the side of fluoride being safe and effective. There is no controversy about this in the scientific community. If it's such a simple issue, how is it that it's still going on after half a century? I remember it being debated yeah, when I was 13 years ago. Uh, and it continues to debate. But just because we've been doing something 50 years doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. Uh, public health officials knew then what they know now. Would we have fluoride? Would it be added to our drinking water? Well, today a coalition of scientists, dentists, and doctors are taking action to stop fluoridation until it is proven safe. The first widespread commercial use of fluoride was for the eradication of vermin. Since the 1800s, sodium fluoride has been a key ingredient in rat poison and insecticides. These products were commonly used in and around the home to kill lice, mice, rats, and insects. Fluoride proved to be not only a good way to kill rodents, but also an effective way to kill a man. As the use of fluoride became more popular, reports began flooding in of people dying from ingesting this toxic substance. Headlines screamed. Roach poisoned in pancakes kills 11 men. Rancher takes dose of poison by mistake. Article after article, all having the same tragic endings. 
proving that sodium fluoride can and does indeed cause death. In fact, during the last part of the 19th century, the Industrial Revolution was taking hold of the modern world. An unfortunate byproduct of this technological revolution was that it created the most toxic pollutants known to man. And the most hazardous and destructive of them all was fluoride. In his award-winning book, The Fluoride Deception, investigative journalist Christopher Bryson examines fluoride's disturbing history. Bryson notes that in its early days, fluoride was a widely known and well-documented killer. Documentation from early lawsuits against fluoride manufacturers clearly shows that fluoride was a hazard, not only to humans, but to the environment as well, with damages reaching into the tens of millions of dollars. By 1930, the aluminum industry was the largest and most influential fluoride polluter. Industrial giants such as Alcoa knew they had to do something. Vegetation and livestock near Alcoa plants were being decimated as toxic fluoride fumes lingered, rendering nearby cattle lame and crippled, even causing death. One newspaper article from that time proclaimed, during the past year, we had 51 head of cattle die. We had laboratory tests made, and these tests show excessive amounts of fluorine in the liver and kidneys. Also, some of our young cows had lost their teeth. Our saddle horses were so crippled from fluorine poisoning, they had to be shot. The serious nature of fluoride toxicity was beginning to be realized. As a result, fluoride's threat to corporate America was laid out in an exhaustive review conducted by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Toxicologist Floyd Dietz warned of new medical information exposing fluoride's harmful effects. Danish scientist Kaj Roholm singled out the aluminum industry, specifically Alcoa, as the source of much of the fluoride poisoning. Fluoride was causing irreparable damage, and the word was getting out. Alcoa knew they had to act fast. Their high-powered attorneys sprung into action, quickly buying up farms and paying out settlements. Ironically enough, during that time, the U.S. Public Health Service was under the jurisdiction of the United States Treasury Secretary, Andrew W. Mellon. Mellon was the founder and major stockholder of Alcoa. He was also the founder of the Mellon Institute, an industry-funded research institute that was notorious for giving corporations, such as Alcoa, the scientific data they needed to defend themselves against lawsuits. The Mellon Institute published questionable and self-serving evidence that supported the effectiveness of fluoride in fighting tooth decay. In doing so, the Mellon Institute rats had put a smiling face on what had been a scientifically recognized environmental and workplace poison. It was an aluminum industry-funded scientist, Dr. Gerald Cox, who worked at the Mellon Institute that first made the proposal to artificially fluoridate public water supplies. Mellon's economic interest in fluoridation was obvious. Fluoridation provided the chemical industry an opportunity to void liability of their poisonous fluoride waste by means of promoting it as a health benefit. The official human experiments began in Grand Rapids, Michigan on January 25, 1945. 107 barrels of sodium fluoride were delivered to Grand Rapids, where city technicians began tipping them into the city's water supply. They were the first to publicly fluoridate their water. It was to serve as the test city, and its tooth decay rates were to be compared with those of non-fluoridated Muskegon. The study only lasted five years. There are no permanent teeth in the child born at the beginning of the study. It was an unblinded study. 
They did no measure of safety, and they claimed that there was a tremendous benefit to the permanent teeth. Well, there weren't any permanent teeth in the children who were born at the beginning of study, and soon thereafter, they fluoridated Muskegon, the control city. It's a phony baloney study used to demonstrate the benefits where there are none. Unfortunately, fluoride's ugly side has almost entirely escaped the public view. As Bryson points out, historians have failed to record that fluoride pollution was in fact the biggest legal worry of the industries that were involved in developing the atomic bomb program. As some may remember, the Manhattan Project was a secret program which brought the atomic bomb into existence. But what most people are totally unaware of is the fact that fluoride was an essential element in the production of the atom bomb. There's a guy named Harold Hodge that was the chief toxicologist for the Manhattan Project and basically in order to create the nuclear weapons, they needed massive, massive amounts of fluoride. He was hired as a toxicologist or part of the team to determine is there going to be any toxic effects of fluoride in this project. Really what they were worried about is they were worried about lawsuits. They knew that there was negative effects of fluoride. They had to basically invent this whole scheme so they could use the high levels of fluoride in the Manhattan Project to create atomic and nuclear weapons. For more than 70 years, the Public Health Service has assured society that fluoridation is safe and effective. These assurances have largely rested on the results of the 1945 Newburgh-Kingston Fluoride Carries Trial. This study compared the safety of fluoride in drinking water for two New York cities, one fluoridated, the other not fluoridated. The impetus for the first fluoridated city, Grand Rapids, was born from this study. However, recently declassified documents show that this study was a complete fabrication. A trail of declassified Manhattan Project papers unearthed by investigative journalist Christopher Bryson showed that the toxicology department at the University of Rochester, which was under the direction of Harold Hodge, secretly monitored the Newburgh experiment to, quote, supply evidence useful in the litigation arising from an alleged loss of a fruit crop. In fact, these once restricted documents reveal that as far back as 1944, the Manhattan Project was spending money on toxicology studies on fluoride. Why? because fluoride was the key ingredient used in the process of enriching uranium. Enriched uranium was the linchpin of the U.S. military's fledgling nuclear weapons program. Fluoride became a national security issue. The declassified documents suggest that Newburgh was simply another human experiment, one used to justify the interests and advancement of the nuclear industrial state. The final report of Newburgh concluded that small concentrations of fluoride were safe. Yet documents revealed that the top fluoride scientist in the U.S., Dr. H. Trendley Dean, known as the father of fluoridation, secretly opposed the experiment, fearing that fluoride's toxicity would be revealed. Until now, Dean's dissent on Newburgh has never been made public. There's irrefutable evidence that the U.S. military the Manhattan Project, the makers of the atomic bomb, concealed evidence of fluoride's harm to their workers, to the community, and to the American public. One study was published in the journal of the American Dental Association in 1948 by Dale. In these files, Manhattan Project Captain Peter Dale at the University of Rochester reported preliminary results of dental investigations among laboratory fluoride workers at Columbia University. 
He concluded that fluoride did not prevent cavities in the 95 laboratory workers examined. Quote, their teeth seemed to be deteriorating rapidly, and their gums bled more freely. In fact, most of the hydrofluoric acid workers examined had few or no teeth left. They were in large part toothless or nearly toothless. This information, however, was left out of the published version. The published study merely notes that the fluoride workers had fewer cavities than did the unexposed workers. They didn't mention the fact that they had fewer cavities because their teeth had fallen out of their mouths. Since World War II, fluoride has been one of the most destructive environmental pollutants. At one point during the Cold War, fluoride was blamed for more damage claims against industry than all 20 other major air pollutants combined. Fluoride was responsible for one of the most notorious environmental disasters in U.S. history, the town of Donora, Pennsylvania which jump-started the environmental movement. In 1948, the small mill town lost 20 people, and an estimated 6,000 men, women, and children were sickened by U.S. Steel's dark blanketing smog. Even the town's name betrayed its corporate roots. Donora was an amalgam of the first name of Nora Mellon, the wife of industrialist Andrew W. Mellon. After the Halloween disaster in Donora, Pennsylvania, Philip Stadler, a chemist, went to Donora, and he was able to test and measure and prove that it was fluoride that had caused all those deaths. Sadler quickly went public. Article after article ran the story. Chemist says fluorine gas caused 19 smog deaths. Sadler said, chronic fluorine poisoning has been killing people in Donora for a long time. It has left its characteristic trademark on the valley's animals, crops, and vegetation. Both the U.S. Army and the Atomic Energy Commission now known as the Energy Department, had a secret and vital interest in the outcome of the Donora disaster. If fluoride were fingered for the Donora deaths, it might bring unwanted scrutiny of worker health safety for those in the bomb factories, resulting in damage suits and expensive requirements for air pollution controls. On October 1949, the Public Health Service official report on Donora was released. The 173-page government document appeared to be of similar size to that of the Holy Bible and came to virtually no conclusions. The report's emphasis was on bad weather and that the disaster was therefore an act of God. The report made no mention of fluoride. Could it be there was a vested interest on the part of the government not to upset the public concerning the potential dangers of fluoride? Although it was Gerald Cox's idea that ultimately led to the endorsement of water fluoridation, the man who gave the official endorsement was Federal Security Administrator Oscar R. Ewing, Alcoa's top Wall Street attorney. Nine months after the Denora disaster, Ewing made a surprise announcement for the nation. The U.S. Public Health Service was reversing a long-held position. The ex-Alcoa lawyer declared that his agency now favored adding fluoride to drinking water across the United States. Coincidence? When it came time to choose a public relations representative to persuade public opinion in favor of water fluoridation, Ewing chose none other than the father of public relations himself, Edward Bernays. When they're selling water fluoridation, they didn't just walk out and say it's good for you. They actually hired Edward Bernays, Sigmund Freud's nephew, to sell Americans on how good it was to have silicone fluoride in the water. Edward Bernays was the one that created how to control the population through media and through advertising. Edward Bernays, also known as the father of spin, 
pioneered the idea of crowd psychology. In 1928, he wrote a book called Propaganda, in which he wrote, If we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their knowing it? He called it the engineering of consent. Bernays introduced the corporate giants to crowd psychology methods and polished techniques to manipulate society. He convinced the population to buy on impulse things they didn't even need. In his writings, he concluded that individuals were controlled by four basic motivations, self-preservation, aggression, security, and sex. Bernays' belief was that by appealing to any of these four motives, it was possible to manipulate the majority of a population into doing almost anything. You could brainwash them into smoking cigarettes, starting war, electing politicians, you name it. And given the proven effectiveness of these techniques, it was no coincidence that the Aluminum Company of America asked Bernays to head the campaign for the fluoridation of the United States water supply. People like Bernays, you know, were masters of social engineering. His entire thesis, if you will, is that you don't talk to the public in a rational, scientific way. Instead, you appeal to their emotions and you invoke their fears. He was key in getting women to start smoking. He positioned cigarettes as being sexy and individualistic and, you know, power to the woman. That was the, the framing of why women should start smoking. A consumerist culture was born, and the United States government took notice. U.S. agencies soon adopted Bernays' techniques of manipulation to manufacture the fear of ever-present danger in the minds of the people, to give those in power greater control of what Bernays called the mass mind. He went on to propose in his book Propaganda, those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. This statement holds just as true today as it did in the 20s when Bernays first wrote it. Throughout medical science, including dentistry, poison-producing corporations have always been able to infiltrate major institutions and dominate their narrative. When Christopher Bryson was writing this book, The Fluoride Deception, he reached out to Edward Bernays Bernays said it was child's play to convince the American public that fluoride was good for them. While the official narrative rang, the case for fluoride had been proven. Some people weren't so quick to jump on the fluoridation bandwagon. Because fluoride had been used for years as a rat poison to kill coyotes, to kill cockroaches. Some of those opposing fluoridation were in fact dentists. And because of their advocacy for safe water, they were censored by the American Dental Association. If they worked for the public health service, they got fired. If they were team players and kept their mouth shut, they got to keep their job. So out of fear, many people who knew better remained silent. The true story behind water fluoridation can be hard to swallow. The facelift performed on fluoride dating back more than 60 years ago has misled generations. Instead of conjuring up the image of a crippled worker or a poisoned forest, we see smiling children. As a new generation arises, we must sound the alarm yet again. To those who have ears to hear, this film is meant to be a warning. This film will prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that fluoride is a deadly poison being added to our water supply. 
It will further prove that the chemical commonly known as fluoride is the only chemical added to public drinking water to treat you, the individual, rather than the water. The information presented in this film can change your life. It can help protect your health and the health of your loved ones. It will lay out the real facts behind water fluoridation. It will expose the hidden hand behind the curtain, pulling the levers of industry, corporate profit, and public perception. Fluoridation is neither safe nor effective, but rather a fraud. And honestly, one of the biggest hoaxes ever perpetrated in human history. To say things like, tobacco is harmless, fluoride is harmless. Agent Orange is harmless, they say. DDT was harmless. Asbestos, right? Yeah, GMOs now, they say, are harmless. This is a long history of science selling out to corporate interests while the people are systematically poisoned. And to this day, people still believe fluoride is safe in the drinking water, and the majority of dentists still believe it's safe to put in toothpaste and to put in uh, different types of compounds. Most people in America are persuaded that everybody fluoridates their water. And, you, and if you're living in a town like Albany or Long Island or Ithaca or somewhere, but the vast majority of the population in the world does not drink fluoridated water. Most of the countries do not fluoridate the water, only about 30. The countries now that have banned the use of fluoride, uh, China, Austria, Belgium, Finland, Germany, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, the Netherlands, Hungary, and Japan. These, all these countries have said that fluoride, number one, is ineffective and toxic and should not be used. We are still using it. There's something wrong here. I think it's time that uh, we become aware and do something about it. How come our country that's supposed to be, quote, so smart, uses it. Well, there's something going on here. What does the European Union know that we don't know? Nothing. Nothing. They know the same thing, that's why. But the difference is they're not getting paid off, and we are. And so therefore, this is what the only thing I can come up with, because they both have the same facts. They both have the same facts. Fluoride is toxic. Fluoride is not helping your teeth. If it was really helping your teeth, why do we have all these dental problems? It's not at all. How come you can go to primitive societies around the world that never had or even seen fluoride and they have perfect teeth? Why are we having all these learning disorders? How come we're having autism? We're having all these things we never had before. Well, why don't we ask that question and answer it honestly? Answer it honestly. 98% of Europe does not fluoridate. Only eight countries in the world have more than 50% of their population drinking water. America, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, Israel, Singapore, Malaysia, and Colombia. Only eight. I think Europeans have come to their senses on, on several issues, not all of them, but on many. GMOs being one of them and fluoride being another. They've rejected these things because they're looking at the evidence. America tends to be way behind the curve on really recognizing reality in the realm of, of fraudulent hoax science. Our CDC and the liars in Washington, D.C. have only had success in countries that speak English for the vast majority of the disposal of their hazardous waste product. That means that you and I and our children in the United States 
are the largest consumers of hydrofluosilicic acid. Call it what it is. Hydrofluosilicic acid, what is that? Hydro is water, fluo, fluoride, silicic, sand, and it's missing an electron. It's acidic. It'll kill you. You take your hand dipping in like that, and you're going to die. Hydrofluosilicic acid does not occur in nature. It's a man-made molecule. And it eats through concrete, glass, stainless steel, fiberglass, plastic. You name it, it'll eat it. So why are we putting that in the water? First tonight, hazmat crews from all across our area responded to a chemical leak this afternoon in Rock Island. The chemical was so strong that it was burning through the concrete there. News 8's Christy Mergenthal has the latest. It was just before 1 o'clock Thursday afternoon when hazmat crews were called to the Rock Island water treatment plant for a chemical spill coming from this tanker truck. The chemical hydrofluoral sicilic acid is used to add fluoride to the plant's water. After several hours, crews were able to clean up the leak, allowing operations to return to normal. They had to cordon off the area, obviously, but as far as uh, the treatment of the water and the, the amount of water uh, you know, being used by the public, there's no effect on that at all. Now that acid that did spill out is a chemical that they actually use every single day here at the water treatment plant. It adds fluoride to the water. Reporting live in Rock Island, Christy Mergenthal, WQAD Quad Cities News 8. That's how they transport it. It's, it's extremely aggressive. It'll eat, it'll eat through almost anything, including concrete. What is labeled fluoride is not naturally occurring fluoride like you might find in the ground. It's actually a collection. It can be over a hundred different chemicals, including some radioactive chemicals, including many cancer-causing chemicals, including heavy metals, uh, neurologically damaging elements that are called fluoride. And then this is dumped into the water supply, and the cities have the doctors and dentists convinced that this is somehow good for your teeth. Fluoride is really a clever way for industry, the mining industry, chemical processing industries, aluminum smelting and processing industries to eliminate their toxic industrial waste without having to pay for it to be handled as industrial waste. They just slap a new label on it, fluoride. They sell it to cities and the cities dump it into the water supply. Basically is a hazardous waste byproduct of the manufacture of phosphate fertilizer. It's a mining byproduct. They dig up this rock. This rock is no good as is. So you mix it with sulfuric acid and this produces soluble phosphate, and that's what becomes the fertilizer. It's a byproduct that they can't do anything with. It's a poison, so they sell it and make fluoride out of it. It was a fraud. It was a scam from the get-go. It is a means of getting rid of fluoride. You allow industry to use your water supply to dispose of their hazardous waste. It's a disposal mechanism. It's an industrial, a major industrial waste pollutant. They were trying to dump it into the rivers that were going out into the ocean in Florida, and boy, they stopped that. They said, you're polluting, you're killing the fish, you're, and which they were. For a hundred years, they decimated the local vegetation, crippled the cattle, damaged the citrus groves in Florida. It was costing them a fortune to handle this as a very serious industrial waste. And so they're helping Cargill get rid of their hazardous waste problems. Cargill is the largest privately owned corporation in the world. They were also the largest producer of hydrofluosilicic acid. Cargill at one time had like 90% of the market. When the hurricanes went through Florida, they knocked out the holding ponds, so there was a shortage of hydrofluosilicic acid. And so they reached out to the rest of the world, and now we get it from Mexico and Japan and China, because none of those countries allow fluoride in the water supply.
They don't, they don't put it in at all. So it obviously it's piling up in those countries. I don't think we need to be helping other countries out with their disposal of fluorosilicic acid. Fluoridation is the worst recycling practice in the world. So I support recycling. But to take the hazardous waste from the phosphate fertilizer industry, which cannot be dumped into the sea by international law, and cannot be used locally because it's too concentrated. And to take that product and put it into our public drinking water is sheer lunacy. It's bizarre. I mean, George Orwell Kafka could have written this play. It's, it's, it's lunacy. There are 250,000 tons dumped annually in the water supply. Does that sound like a big figure to you? If you had one ton, and we're worth over a million dollars, you'd be a poor person by the time you got rid of that ton. It's extremely expensive to get rid of. Is there anybody that you know that might be willing to talk to us, perhaps a whistleblower, somebody who's been injured or? Yeah, I mean, there's a guy who wrote a book, uh, Toxic Torts, uh, the tell-all book about the phosphate fertilizer industry, Gary Pittman. He'll, he'll tell you the story. Is that where he out of? In Florida. That's where the, all the phosphate mines are in the United States. Right. Paul, oh, looks like we're going to Florida, buddy. When I first started working at the Occidental Chemical Corporation's chemical plants in the early 1970s, there was no safety program in place. The only equipment you had to wear was a hard hat and safety glasses. And uh, we didn't wear the safety glasses half the time because it wasn't enforced. The environment was very dirty. The air was filled with dust and toxic fumes. We worked eight, 12 hours a day, sometimes longer, sometimes double shifts in those conditions. When you're 18, you think you're invincible. Had a physical by their doctor, and he actually put on my application a perfect health specimen. Mistakenly, you tend to believe that somehow you're invincible and blindly step into harm's way without a thought about the future consequences. I started working there when I was 18. I was in excellent health. I quickly rose to a supervisory position and was making about $50,000 a year. However, my success came at a high price, my health and well-being. My first and last job was working for Occidental Chemical Company in the phosphoric acid plants in Hamilton County, Florida. So Gary, what made you write this book? I wanted to leave a history behind on what happened to me and some of the co-workers here in this county. And it kind of gives the inside look at a phosphate plant, mainly the chemical plant where phosphoric acid is made. Former employees of Occidental Chemical Corporation have filed a lawsuit against the company. They say they have life-threatening diseases because the company did not follow safety procedures. Paige, they have diseases like leukemia, emphysema, and toxic brain syndrome. For years, doctors struggled to diagnose them, but finally they found a common link. It was the phosphate plant they all worked for. Gary and several other former employees are suing Occidental for failing to provide adequate safety education and gear. One woman's husband died of bone cancer before his battle could make it to court. They messed up my life. They messed up everybody's life, and they're continuing to mess up other people's lives. They need to come in and realize and to admit to what they are doing. 
When Gary Pittman filed a lawsuit against Occidental Chemical Company, he knew what he was getting into. Occidental was a mammoth organization and no stranger to litigation. It was Occidental that had been responsible for one of the most horrendous environmental tragedies in American history, the Love Canal. President Carter declared a state of emergency today in the Love Canal area of New York's Niagara Falls where toxic chemicals were discovered oozing from the ground. My three kids were born with birth defects. My wife's had cancer. This was a site that literally is best described. Orange goop, toxic soup uh, is what it has been referred to. You had 80 different chemicals. I mean, some very bad stuff was in these people's backyards, was literally seeping into their basements. Health officials are urging more families to move, but that's not as simple as it seems. Between the years of 1947 and 1953, the Hooker Chemical Corporation, which is a subsidiary of Occidental Chemical, used the Love Canal section of Niagara Falls as a dumping site for toxic waste. Today we write the final chapter of the environmental disaster called Love Canal. In doing so, we make clear that when people make a mess of our environment, they should and they will be held responsible for cleaning up their mess. The EPA concluded that Occidental dumped millions of tons of hazardous chemicals and then sold the property to the Niagara Falls School District for $1. In papers to be filed in court in Buffalo this afternoon, the Occidental Chemical Corporation will agree to pay $129 million. In the end, Occidental was out of pocket a total of $200 million for damages and settlements, not including court costs and the millions they spent defending themselves. These kind of dangers no longer will be tolerated by the American public. The day of discarding hazardous materials indiscriminately and haphazardly is over. There must never be in our country another Love Canal. Thank you very much. But in reality, this $200 million spanking to a multi-billion dollar a year company is far less severe than a parking ticket to the average person. Occidental had a pattern of disregard for environmental issues. In the summer of 1979, the New York Times reported that Hooker's plant in White Springs, Florida was convicted of polluting the air with fluoride. Even more damning were the copies of corporate memorandums passed among Hooker executives in which it was revealed that Hooker's top echelon knew and approved of the pollution violations. Finally, Hooker company officials admitted to accidentally poisoning local water supplies not only at the New York location, but at their Michigan and California plants. The White Springs plant that Gary Pittman worked for not only was polluting the air with fluoride, but it also dumped tons of waste on their own property. In a leaked inter-office memo obtained by an insider at Occidental's White Springs plant reveals 25 different waste disposal sites buried on the property. This highly classified document lists the hazardous, carcinogenic, highly fluoridated toxins that are all buried on the site and are still there today. Gary Pittman knew that he was about to embark into a David versus Goliath scenario. Occidental was not to be trusted. They had been known to buy and intimidate officials. They provided financial support to the campaigns of certain political candidates and owned judges. Gary had only 12 lawyers against Occidental's prestigious law firm, Holland & Knight, which at the time consisted of 540 of the nation's top lawyers. However, to his benefit, Gary had the documents to prove his case. He also had a stellar record within the company and was known as a company man. 
he was a loyal and hardworking employee. The last thing he had ever imagined doing was to sue the very company that had provided him such a good life. In spite of this, Gary felt as though he had no choice. He was sick and couldn't work. So Gary named a price that could make him go away, and Occidental accepted. In the end, Gary settled out of court with Occidental, but his health problems still linger. The phosphate industry is one of the biggest industries in Florida. It brings in billions of dollars each year in profits. Television ads and billboards often portray strip mining as a wholesome industry that creates jobs and feeds the world. However, a closer look reveals the extreme toxicity to our environment and health. Paul, I think what you need to do is get some aerial shots of that plant. because you cannot see the devastation going on from just riding down the road. If you could get some aerial shots of that plant, I could point out what's going on, what's happening, you know, and, 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 and point out where a lot of the pollution's going on and stuff like that. What people don't realize is this is where hydrofluorosilicic acid starts because you have to mine the rock, you have to make the phosphoric acid, and hydrofluorosilicic acid is made from the fumes off the phosphoric acid. Then it's put into the city's drinking water. I worked out there my whole life, basically, and uh, I never seen that, that good of shots. You don't see this on Google Earth. I mean, you just see an overview, and you get the idea that they, those are there, but... Yeah, what you see here is, you know, the common person never sees this. They don't. They don't really want you to see it either because then you would know how much devastation, you know, there is at these plants. So you know what's so good about it is, is the general public's gonna get to see this in this new film and they can, you know, they can decide, you know. And like I said, that's where your hydrofluorosilicic acid starts. That's the way they mine. It's overburdened. They take over the take the overburden off to get to the ore. Basically, they take a nice forest area, they cut down all the trees, they burn all the stumps, and they take all the topsoil off. The overburden is topsoil, subsoil, clays, until mm -hmm. they get to the ore. This right here is just, they've already dug it all out. Yeah, yeah, they've mined this, and as you can see, you can see the forest in the background and you can see the, the huge chunk of land that they have mined. The phosphate lobby is very, very powerful. You know, it's just a, it's a sad situation. It's devastating to the earth. This water, this coffee-colored water, it's just hard to describe how bad it is. You know, when you call it water, it's not really water. It's so, it's so laden with so many different chemicals and it contains many elements such as cadmium, chromium, mercury, nickel, beryllium, arsenic, uh, fluorides, lots of fluorides. Lead, and I heard it even has Lead. like, it has radioactive elements it in is, it too. It is, it is radioactive. Uranium-238, radium-226, 
It also has traces of polonium-210, uh, very contaminated stuff. A lot of people don't realize that this is some of the worst contamination at a phosphoric acid chemical plant. Where this was all located is uh, was wetlands. If you have a wetland, you'll have a heck of a time trying to get a permit to go into a wetland, you know, to do anything. You know, if you want to dig a pond or whatever, they're not going to give you a permit. But somehow these people got permits to dig up all this wetland, and uh, they claim they'll reclaim it, but but it'll never be reclaimed like it once was. It's just there, there's no way. They will reclaim just enough land and they'll have a little show place so visitors and they can go show them what they've been doing. Yeah, we've mined this out and now this is what, what we've done. Mm -hmm. And you know, for what they've uh, destroyed out there, you know, uh, what, a, a 10 or 15 or 20 acre plot they've reclaimed? Nah, they're not gonna, they're not gonna reclaim it. What they'll eventually do, and this is just my prediction, is uh, they'll change the name of this place and they'll form a corporation and they'll call it something like White Springs Phosphate. And then when they finish mining out the rock, they'll bankrupt. Up here on the right, we're going to have the administration offices. They used to be in the chemical plant, and they moved them. <laughs> they used to eat the pantyhose off the women's legs. Wow. It says, to whom it may concern, I worked at the above-named company, Occidental Chemical Company, White Springs, Florida, in 1968 and part of 1969. Our accounting department was located in the admin building, which at that time was located at the chemical plant. Many mornings when we employees would get out of our vehicles, women, our pantyhose would dissolve off of our legs. It was explained to us that it was a chemical fallout, not to worry. Our boss would see that each of us girls would get one dollar to get us another pair of pantyhose. The chemicals also would eat small pit holes in the paint on our vehicles. Years later, they moved the admin building away from the chemical plant to out by the main road. And uh, there's several more names here of other girls that could uh, testify to this. So there's three things you can see from the space station, and that's the Great Pyramids of Egypt, the Phosphogypsum stacks of Florida, and the Great Wall of China. And that's how large they are. They, they have them in South Florida and Central Florida that are 400 acres big. It's a huge operation. They dig cubic tons of, 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 of rock a day. What, what is the, with the water up, on, up there? The pond water is water they use for the process and it's recycled. The water is used over and over and it gets stronger and stronger and more contaminated. How do they contain it? Just by building a dam like a that? A dam around it, and that, that's what I was fixing to tell you. There's no liner under that stack. It's right on top of the ground, and it is leaching. Sure it is. Through the groundwater. Yeah, what, I, I read somewhere about a sinkhole that took place. The reason the sinkhole developed is because the acidic water eating away the limestone. And once the limestone gives way, you're in the groundwater. Wow. 
because in Florida, when you drill a well, you have to go through the limestone to get to the action. When that 84 million, million gallons fell through in there, it contaminated all this water around. It had to have. Like I said, you know, it's just a matter of time before, you know, you have a sinkhole like that. It's just a weak point. Wherever there's a weak point in a cavity in the limestone is where the ground eventually, bottom falls. Eventually going to happen. Yeah, in all of them. In all of them. This is a massive, massive operation. Yes, it is. And if you'll see, there's sections in this phosphogypsum stack. Mm -hmm. When the sinkhole caved in, in one of these, it was one of these sections. It wasn't all of it. Only that one section was 87 million gallons. Whoa. So you can you can multiply that times four. You know, that's just a lot of toxic waste to be going into the aquifer. In addition to this recycled toxic water up there in those in those ponds, those ponds you call them, uh, there in addition to that, they're taking fresh water too. Right? Of course, they use a lot of fresh water because see, this is the main thing that they don't want you to know is what they call the water balance. It just makes them nervous if you start talking about the water balance. What do they add back when they need water if it's leaching? Right. It's going away, so they have to add some fresh water I see. to keep the process going. Right. The phosphate industry uses more fresh water than any other industry in the state of Florida. You know, when, and sometimes they have to release water out of those toxic ponds. And what do they put it? They put it in the creeks and it runs into the Swanee River. Now what they do to it is lime it to bring the pH up so it don't kill the fish immediately. The Swanee River, they claim is a pristine waterway. But if you ask the Fresh and Game Water Commission in Florida, they'll tell you not to eat over one fish out of that river a month. Wow. Because of lead and mercury and chromium and cadmium. They won't tell you that, but that's why. Yeah, that's why. This is just a lot of the documentation I've reached through the years. What really caught my eye was like we had talked about earlier, the 1972 through 1979 misrepresenting environmental data. And they charged them $575,000 for emitting 10 times the amount of fluoride allowed below. And I was working there when that was going on and the fumes were just unbelievable. It pit the, the glass on your windshields, make them so foggy it would etch the glass. Just having your car parked out there while you're at work. I mean, back in the 60s, you know, they, they I mean, even earlier, they realized that those fumes were very strange, toxic. Very toxic. The phosphate company pretty much polices themselves. They have their own crews do their stack testing and, and, and all the other environmental things. And, you know, that's kind of like the fox watching the hen house. And I have been involved where they would go up to test the stack and come down and tell me, so something's wrong. This stack is going to fail. You know, so you look around, find a problem, straighten it out, and say, okay, boys, y'all can go up there and test now. I have also been at the point where we couldn't find what was wrong, and they were doing the test, and we would just go and open a blind in the fume ducts to allow more fresh air to rush in so it would dilute the emissions. But I know for a fact that they cheat on these tests. Once you know that, then you lose all faith in these regulatory agencies because you know it's all a farce. In this past, I'd say six months, there's been four 
people that I knew of, that I grew up with, and they were younger than me, they were 52 all of them, died. I do honestly believe it has something to do with the, the phosphate chemical plants out there. I would imagine you've seen some injured employees. I've seen people burn. I've seen people blown up. I saw a man killed, and he was going to weld on a rotary drum filter, and somebody had washed it with a solution of sulfuric acid and pond water found out later the guy had struck an arc to weld on that thing and it exploded. And it killed him, messed up his friend, too, that was helping. But that's a very hazardous work environment. When you digest phosphate rock with sulfuric acid, that's what you're going to give off, hydrogen fluoride and silicon tetrafluoride. Now, even at that strength, it'll eat up concrete, asphalt, stainless steel, even the fume ducts after a while, which is made out of fiberglass. Very corrosive, the most corrosive acid known to man. Used to etch glass, it's used for a lot of things. Uh, one of the things it's used for is to fluoridate drinking water. Who in the world would want to drink water with this stuff in it? The city of Dallas, Texas, like many cities across the nation, spends millions of dollars on contracts with companies like Cargill, Mosaic and Penco to fluoridate the region's water supply. On Mosaic's website, the product listed for use in water fluoridation is actually called hydrofluorosilicic acid. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, otherwise known as OSHA, is a U.S. agency that requires companies to produce a material safety data sheet, or an MSDS, for every chemical product in the market. The MSDS that Mosaic produces for their fluoride product will make your hair stand on end. Right here I have the Mosaic material safety data sheet on their hydrofluorosilicic acid product. A material safety data sheet is a very important document to disclose safety and health issues about possible exposure to this chemical. The MSDS sheet is supposed to inform you about what is this chemical, what's in it. So what we find in the case of the Mosaic, their hydrofluorosilicic acid, is that it is not a pharmaceutical grade product. It is an industrial grade chemical. And under section two, hazard identification, it identifies a health hazard as being corrosive to the skin, the eyes, and the mucous membranes. If you come in contact with it uh, through the skin or inhalation or ingestion, uh, such as swallowing it, it may cause severe irritation and burns. And so on the second page, it identifies potential health effects and it mentions that it's corrosive to the eye, uh, corrosive to the skin, corrosive uh, uh, through inhalation, such as breathing, corrosive if you swallow it, in this, they're, they're basically giving these health effects due to hydrofluorosilicic acid and a high concentration. It's less clear at, at what concentration this won't happen at. As a chemist, I've looked at scores of material safety data sheets and never in my career have I seen a warning for children in an MSDS, material safety data sheet. What happens is, the companies that's producing this chemical realizes they have a revenue stream that's a little risky for them from a liability standpoint on how their customers are using this chemical. And so they've now put a warning in their material safety data sheet, warning um, for fluorosis, osteosclerosis, if exposure occurs during enamel formation. 
there are no children working in these chemical plants. There's no, there are no children being chemical handlers. So this warning is for the end user. And so we've presented this to the city council and they have now been alerted that their own supplier has put a warning. And this is where we came across and said, you now need to put a warning at least for children that you've received from your supplier. You need to put that downstream. So now the liability is on them too. Hydrofluosilicic acid has no known benefit in human or any physiological system. It's not even useful in any mammal. So adding that to the public water supply for an alleged benefit is a fraud and it's a crime against the citizens of this country and it's cumulative over a lifetime. It is a very noxious poison and you do not have to take my word for it. If you've got a Webster's Dictionary, open it up. It, one of the definitions is fluoride, a violent protoplasmic poison. Then you have to go look up protoplasm. We are protoplasm. So violent protoplasm for us. Say, let's put that in the water and see how the kids turn out. Oh, well, you know, as we're learning there, it seems like there are no rewards to this. It just seems, it's just all risks. It's all risk. It's a big lie. There's no benefit whatsoever. It's all risk. Let's get to the science. That's what I say. Instead of covering it up, let's look at the science. What do these fluoride chemicals actually do to human beings? There's all kinds of research out there showing it really disturbs the functioning of the body in a number of ways. Uh, inactivates 62 enzymes, increases the aging process, increases the incidence of cancers and tumors up to 17%, disrupts the immune system, causes genetic damage, interrupts RNA and DNA, repair enzymes activity, increases arthritis, and is a system poison. These are all validated by scientific data. We have in America today all of the symptoms of hypothyroidism, uh, obesity, heart disease, neurological impairment. I have been very sick. I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism about 10 years ago. There is no family history in my background that explained why I had this thyroid illness. What were some of your side effects? Feeling very cold, um, hair loss, uh, concentration issues. It really controls your metabolism. So I, was, I had gained about 10 to 15 pounds, which is very unusual. I was very athletic my whole life and never was overweight. So I gained weight. I was sleeping a lot. Again, your metabolism is tuned down. Doing the research, Fluoride is an uh, irritant to your thyroid. Your thyroid wants iodine. And if it doesn't get iodine at the concentrations that it needs, then it gets whatever is closest that you're providing in the environment. If you look at the periodic table, you see that fluoride, chlorine, bromine, and iodine are all in the same column. That means they have very similar electronic structure and reactivity. So that's why your thyroid will uptake fluoride and chlorine when you're not giving it enough iodine. It's, it's a gradual accumulation of the fluorides and the, and the other things you're exposed to out there that just gradually wears on you through the years. And that's one reason it's hard to pinpoint health problem because you know you work out there six seven eight ten years before you start noticing things and then it's almost too late then because it's already done the damage but I've been real weak and just lethargic yeah so when the blood work come back the guy asked me he said what have you been doing I said uh, nothing the last few days I've been laying on the couch at home you know I ain't felt well he said 
you sure you hadn't fell off of a building or something? And he said, look, he said, you have a muscle destructive process going on. That was exactly what he told me. And I said, what, 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 is, what does that mean? He said, you got a muscle destructive process going on and there's nothing I can do to help you. One of the key questions is, if you run the world and you don't want competition, how do you shut down people's consciousness? How do you do that? Well, you put poisons, effectively, into the water supply that compromise these gateways of consciousness. And fluoride is one of the most powerful poisons that is routinely used for this purpose. The pineal gland is actually kind of located in the center of the brain, and it secretes two hormones, DMT and melatonin. Melatonin actually regulates your sleep cycles and it's kind of like a feel-good hormone which also helps regulate your puberty and it helps regulate all your hormone structures inside your system. The pineal gland to me is so important because it's been regarded as like the third eye and even in, in Egyptian times they call it the eye of Horus. They call it the pineal gland because it kind of resembles a pine cone. And if you look at the staff that the Pope has, it has a pine cone on it. And if you look at statues throughout the Vatican and throughout history, you'll see the shape of a pine cone and you'll see symbols showing the importance of the pineal gland. Now the pineal gland is also regarded in some religions as the seat of the soul or it's your gateway or your connection to God. If you know that the pineal gland is the consciousness of the human, and that could be your connection with God, why not take it out? And the fastest and easiest way to take out the pineal gland and to calcify the pineal gland would be with fluoride because fluoride has an affinity for those areas in the body that produce calcium hydroxyapatite. Today in the United States, children are reaching puberty much earlier in age than they did in the past. Some evidence indicates that fluoride, via its effect on the pineal gland, could be a contributing cause to this trend. In 1997, Jennifer Luke published her PhD thesis on fluoride in the pineal gland. In her dissertation, she conducted animal studies and concluded that fluoride exposure has been found to cause early puberty in females. Similar findings have been reported in two epidemiological studies of human populations that are drinking fluoridated water. The first study was conducted in 1945 during the Newburgh versus Kingston fluoridation trial. It was discovered that girls in fluoridated Newburgh were reaching menstruation on average five months earlier than the girls in unfluoridated Kingston. But the result was not thought to be significant at the time. In 1983, another study was conducted in which a man with the last name of Farkas reported that girls living in highly fluoridated towns began their first menstruation cycles at a much younger age than girls living in less fluoridated areas. When the pineal gland is calcified, it causes an onset of puberty. In my documentary, Crippling Waters, one of the ladies in there, we called her the star, a nine-year-old girl, take a look at her. Does she look nine? She's exposed to high fluoride in her family's well water. Her dad, who's only 20 years older, is starting to bend over like this and starting to become crippled. He can't put his hands above his head. The calcification of the pineal gland is an adaptive process.
process so that that child can have babies by the time she's 14 because she's going to be crippled by the time she's 40. Fluoride's role in earlier puberty needs more thorough investigation. When one considers the seriousness of a possible interference by fluoride on a growing child's pineal gland, it underlines the negative and dangerous effects of fluoridation. Dave, so what we're learning is kind of frightening because it seems to me that once it's in your body, it's, is it there to stay? Yes, you can't get it out. You can cut some of the harm by mitigating the damage and avoid it like the plague, but you really can't get it out because it's stuck in your bones. And that's why you have all the skeletal symptoms, you know, the, the joint pain, the arthritis, and all that stuff. The first signs that fluoride is poisoning your bones is pains in the joints, stiffness in the joints, pains in the bones. Well, you go to the doctor with pain in a joint, he says, oh, you got arthritis. Well, arthritis, arth, joint, rightus, pain. Oh, okay, joint pain. So we got somebody speaking to us in Latin. Oh, you got joint pain, super duper. We have millions of people with arthritis in the United States and in Florida countries, one in three adults. Nobody's ever looked to see if some of those arthritis cases may have been caused or exacerbated by fluoride. Just not looking. Are bones with more fluoride stronger or less strong? And the answer is less strong. They got studies where they tried to give them a dose of fluoride, sodium fluoride, to cause an increase in bone mass. It did, but it weakened the bone itself. So those are case-controlled studies. That's the gold standard in medicine. So we have case-controlled studies showing that if you give people fluoride, it accumulates in their bones and it causes the bones to become white, opaque, increases the bone density, decreases the bone tensile strength. And they actually took a bone that was removed from people for the purpose of replacing a, a joint or a hip, put it in a little device here where you put a weight on there and snap it, and they showed that the more fluoride in the bone, the quicker it snaps. Have you ever wonder, how come everybody has hip replacements, knee replacements? I mean, you can go on and on. I can think back when I was a kid, that didn't happen. You didn't see all these crippled people. I mean, you saw a few, but it wasn't common. I mean, how does it end up in our bones? Is it that where our body just finds? It's calcium-rich tissue, so your body parks it there because it's got to dispose of it some way, otherwise it would kill you. So it parks at the bone, and then it kills your bones. What it does once it fills up with fluoride, that you get little spikes on the outside of the bone. If you take a a hand and take a bone and run your hand up and down a normal bone, it's slick. And that's because muscles move around on the bones when you're running or jogging or lifting weights and all that stuff. Your muscles are moving around on your bone and it's slick so it doesn't hurt. Well, if you make that bone the texture of sandpaper, then when the muscle moves around, the fascia tears and it hurts to move. And so fluoride accumulates in calcium rich tissues, which are bone, ligaments, cartilage, joints, and teeth. So you have to look at this as you, if you have a lifetime body burden and the, the less you're exposed to, the longer you can go before you develop symptoms. The first most irrefutable symptom of fluoride exposure is pain. And that's what we saw, my wife and I filmed a documentary in China. And pain was the hugely significant symptom that they all had, they couldn't even work. And, you know, in China, if you don't work, you starve to death. Have you ever heard of dental fluorosis? No. No. Okay. It uh, comes when somebody's overexposed to fluoride. Awesome. That's a picture of very mild dental fluorosis. And so is that. You know, that young girl came to see me 
to get that fixed because she doesn't think that's beautiful. She thinks that looks bad when she smiles. And I think everybody else agrees with her. They say 41% of American teenagers have this condition. So this is a white spot. So it's been there. It's, it's a little scary, you know, knowing that many people, we don't even know, you know, what's in our water. Fluorosis can become more severe than a simple white spot. In severe cases, it can deform a patient's teeth. When you see spots on the teeth like this, that means you gave the child enough of a poison that the cells that were making that organ didn't make it right. They made it wrong. When I was a child, I was overexposed to fluoride. There are streaks of that in my teeth. So you learned that early on then? I knew, yes. Those teeth are very brittle, so I have cavities more frequently in those teeth than other ones that don't have the, the evidence of the fluorosis. Maybe you've seen it. It's white, chalky spots on your teeth. And I was told that those are calcium buildups. From the fluoride. Okay. I don't think I had really, really strong teeth to start with, but I did have some teeth that they just broke. The last time this happened, I was eating a baked potato, and it broke two out. A baked and, uh, potato? A baked potato, and it broke two out. Did you notice anybody else in the plant losing teeth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we talk about it a lot at the plant. So the ADA, the people in office, the people who are in these regulatory agencies, they're aware of overexposure to fluoride causes dental fluorosis, correct? Yeah. They, they know that, right? And they know that dental fluorosis, the, the, the teeth become weakened, they chip, they fall out. Brown, spotted, ugly, wear away real fast. Yes, they know all of that. We took California, we took the whole state. There's no difference in dental care costs for welfare from one end of the state to the other, regardless of the amount of fluoride in the water, whether it's 0.1, 0.2, 0.3, no difference. So if there was a tremendous benefit, you ought to be able to see that and it doesn't show up at all in the computer data. So that's why they won't debate you. And although fluoride can help with your teeth, if either chemical is consumed in high amounts over a lifetime, it can lead to cancer, skin conditions, bone disease, and other health issues. There is a recent lawsuit in Maryland, it's a federal lawsuit, a woman who believed the medical establishment at the time when her daughter was an infant. She gave her daughter 90% of her diet intake of, of water was this fluoridated baby water. And so the daughter grew up with severe fluorosis and to get that corrected dental restoration is about $100,000 and they can't bear that burden. So they are suing Nestle and Gerber. So putting it in a baby bottle when the child doesn't have any visible teeth, there's no way on God's green earth that can have anything except a negative impact on that child. It will damage that baby's teeth. But they sell it in the grocery store as baby's first water. I've seen that for years. How do we educate women to not buy this for their babies? And this is why we wanted the warning for infants, because they're the most at risk. They drink their weight in water within two or three days. If you and I did that, we'd be drinking 22 liters a day. I mean, it just goes back to the whole of these regulatory agencies that are supposed to you know, be kind of looking out for our best interests. And as you know, they're not. There's no reason for the FDA to allow them to sell this as a food. It's a crime. I hope they're punished someday. I say they have a duty to warn. They have a duty to warn you. Not one manufacturer of formula says, by the way, don't use the tap water. Women, infant, and children, WIC program. We contacted them. They refused to tell mothers not to use the tap water. And you know what she said? It would damage the fluoridation program. 
fluoride is safe and effective, and it's one of the most inexpensive ways to really cut down on dental decay. Fluoride is safe and effective. Fluoride is safe. Fluoride is safe and effective. Well, there's a study from 20 years ago showing infant mortality was higher in fluoridated communities. Is that why? I don't know. Why didn't they do a follow-up study? I think that would be interesting to know. Children have died, you know. There's been a case of a child who swallowed this, the dentist left the room, the parents didn't know, the kid swallowed it, had to be rushed to hospital, they couldn't save him, he died. So yeah, it's very toxic substance. There's no question about that. Is that the kind of stuff that a responsible parent would be putting in their child's hand? FDA in 1997 required manufacturers of toothpaste to put this warning label on it. It's the same as you'd have on a loaded 38 caliber pistol. Keep out of reach of children and only use a little pea-sized amount, which is about the same amount that would be in a bottle of water. And if that amount is swallowed, call the poison control center or seek professional help immediately. So if I drink a bottle of water, should I call the poison control center too? This is just insane. So this is what two different organizations say. One says, don't swallow it. Why did they put that on there? They put that on there because there were 10,000 calls a year to the poison control centers from children made ill by swallowed toothpaste. 10,000 calls, and you know for every call, there's five that didn't call. And so, and there are only poison control centers in half the states. So that means 100,000 children are made ill by swallowed toothpaste. It's insane to put a deadly poison in a child's hand and say, go brush and be sure and spit out, Johnny. Florida has been a slow process of introduction into the dental profession where it's commonplace for us to consider Florida as the thing to do to help decay. But well, we now know, statistics have shown us, that fluoride is not working, but it's very toxic to you and can cause everything from cancer to depression. So, yeah, it's a serious issue. You are meant to have the right to informed consent to medication. What we're doing in a fluoridated community is we're doing to everyone what a doctor can do to no one. A doctor says to you, he says, look, this glass of water is going to do wonderful things for you. It's going to cure your ingrowing toenails. It's going to make you less bald. It's going to do X, Y, and Z. Drink it. And you say, no, I don't want to drink it. You must drink it. You've got to drink it. I'm, I'm your doctor. I'm telling you, you've got to drink it. If he or she tried to do that to you, he or she could lose their license. You're not. You've got to tell the the patient what the drug is good for, you've got to tell them what it's bad for, the side effects, and then they, in theory, make up their minds. This has been ripped away from us. Water fluoridation is the dispensing of a drug. This is not chlorine. This is not any number of the other uh, chemicals that are used to treat the water. Fluoride is being put in specifically to alter you physically to make a physical change in you. Fluoride is a drug, is a medicine. This is the only thing anywhere in the world that gets added to the municipal drinking waters to actually treat the human. Well, anytime you see the letters F-L-U-O, you're talking fluoride. 
and so when you start realizing that Prozac is a, is a fluoride product, Zoloft is a fluoride product, virtually all of your psychotropic drugs, almost all of those that are mood elevators. And one of the reasons being is because it has this tremendous capacity to affect serotonin. Mm -hmm. Serotonin being the chemical that goes from one neuron to the other brain neuron. And so when we looked at the selective serotonin reuptake, when basically an inhibit, inhibition of the serotonin to be taken up, that's the fluoride that's doing that. Prozac is fluoxetine. It's a fluorinated psychoactive. Matter of fact, all, almost all your psychoactive drugs are fluorinated drugs. They put it in there both as, as a carrier and an accelerator of the effect. The actual active ingredient in Prozac is fluoride. Prozac is made almost entirely from fluoride molecules. It is, an, like SSRI drugs, are similar molecularly to some of the elements in fluoride. Remember the school shootings in Columbine, Colorado? They were on SSRI drugs. Those drugs make your mind think that you're not living in the real world, that you're actually just sort of experiencing a, a false reality. And I think fluoride has much the same effect. There's tons of uh, products that are pharmaceutical products that in some cases the fluoride is just being used to what, they, what I call potentiate it, mm -hmm. uh, to actually make it a stronger one. Uh, Fenfen which was uh, the diet drug that yeah, uh, was taken that. off the, taken off the, well, wh why did they take it off? Well, fenfluramine, you can hear the fluoride part in there. The fenfluramine was the part that actually made the thickening of the heart valves so that they pulled off. Amazing part about it is, is rohypnol, the date rape drug. A lot of people mm, just yeah, call it that. The okay, yeah, right. roofie. Yeah. yeah, and so what does that roofie do? Basically, it, it causes an anterograde amnesia. Well, okay, that's a fluoride product, so how does it do that? Well, we probably should have guessed that it would do that already anyway, mm -hmm. because if you went in and had uh, surgery, general surgery right now, knock on wood that you don't have to ever do that, but if you were, they would give you four molecules of fluorine and two of bromine and one of chlorine, and that's what knocks you out during that time. So the truth is is that when you start looking at all the pharmaceutical uses for it, that it's, it's just amazing all the things that has been, that, that are around us all the time that we didn't recognize or that we didn't see. There is absolutely no drug on the market that's given in a one dose fits all situation. We don't put other things in the water to try to keep everybody's blood pressure down or everybody's stroke risk down. And there's no reason why we should be trying a one size fits all approach for this either. Once you put a, a medicine in the drinking water, you can't control the dose, because you can't control how much water people drink. You can't control who gets it, it goes to everybody. If you ask a pharmacist if there's any drug in his store that was safe enough to give to everyone, young people, old people, sick people, people with poor nutrition, give it to them in any dose, they'd laugh at you. It's ridiculous. There's no way you can give out a medicine without being able to control the dose. And one dose cannot fit all and you can't give a medicine to everybody. You are forcing it on people who don't want it. There are people in this audience who've spent far more time researching this issue, including David, myself, and many other people in this audience, and they stated categorically to the mayor, to the city councillors, we do not want you to force this medicine on us. We have the right to informed consent to medication. That's a very important right. This is a violation. It's being violated every day in this country to over 200 million people. There needs to be informed consent. We have that with all other medications. When we go to the doctor, he or she gives us the information of what the side effects are going to be. With fluoride, there is no informed consent. There is no safe dose for one size, this one-size-fits-all medication that they're doing to us. Now, 
All of those issues are important, but the one that really concerns me is the impact of fluoride on the brain. A study panel for the EPA listed fluoride as amongst 109 chemicals for which there was significant evidence of neurological effects. It has definite impact on the neurons, which is the nerve parts of the brain. You don't just grow those back. It's not like, well, I cut myself, so now I'm renewing my cell. It doesn't happen to the neurons. There are so many ways that fluoride could be damaging the brain. We know this from animal studies. Dr. Phyllis Mullenix exposed rats to fluoride to work out its effects on the human brain and the central nervous system. What we did was we exposed them, let them drink the fluoride in the water for six to 20 weeks. The pattern that we saw it typically is what we see with other neurotoxic agents that are well known to cause a hypoactivity or uh, a memory problem or an IQ problem. When I first presented the results of these studies, one of the uh, individuals sitting and listening to the results, he says, do you have any idea what you're saying? And he says, you're telling us that we're reducing the IQ of children. Look, the first opponents of fluoridation in this country in the 1950s were biochemists. These biochemists had used fluoride in their experiments to poison enzymes. And they, including Dr. James Sumner, who won the Nobel Prize for Enzyme Chemistry at Cornell, and he said, fluoride poisons enzymes. You don't want to put this substance into the body. Poisoning enzymes is what makes people sick. Poisoning enzymes is what kills people. It's highly likely that you're going to get subtle effects on the brain that the parent is not going to notice. No wonder that our children can't read and write. It's no wonder because we're damaging their brains with a stupid preventive dentistry program that doesn't even work. We have behavioral studies and we have 24 IQ studies, 24 studies which now show an association between fairly modest exposure to fluoride and lowered IQ. They've actually got it down to a one milligram dose of fluoride causes a 0.59 loss in IQ points. The average IQ is 100. So if you're 95, you're in the back of the class napping because you can't understand what the person in the front is saying. And you're gonna get a nice job pushing the broom around. So what if you got twice that dose? Okay, you're down to 90. So what they showed in studies in other countries is that you lose all your genius out of your society. You've damaged the intellect. But new research from China supports Dr. Mullenix's conclusion that fluoride affects mental development and IQ levels. I've heard a great deal about a chemical that can be used on the teeth to help prevent decay. Is that a good thing to use? It certainly is. We use a fluoride solution. And we have evidence that for some people... 50 years ago, American government scientists had clinical evidence that fluoride affected the central nervous system. But all this was kept secret. Chemical? You're going to put some chemical in my mouth? All mention of, of the effects of fluoride on the central nervous system was stopped. In my view, fluoride is where lead was in the early 70s. That argument lasted about 10 years, and it was finally proven that, yes, low levels of lead, lower than caused visible symptoms, 
was in fact damaging a child's mental development. I think the same thing we're going to find with fluoride. As someone who has gotten off of fluoride, I can tell that my thought processes and my concentration is higher. And so when you damage the IQ of the children, you lose your place in the country as a leader, and we have. And that's because of the damage that our government has allowed to happen to the intelligence of our children. If there wasn't research out there that's shown conclusively that it affects the brain and the neurons, that it affects the immune system, that it affects the bones, and it is incorporated into your body, fluoride bonding is strong. You get something with fluoride bonded, it's not easy to get it off. Well, what's going on? Fluoride is now in thousands, and I really mean thousands of products, where it has worked its way in, and I, I don't understand why. I had a good friend of mine come up to me one day when I still live in the valley. He says, Karen, he says, look, there's fluoride in, in Cocoa Pops, and there's fluoride in Fruit Loops, and there's, I'm going, what? What the heck is it doing? <laughs> and that stuff, pesticides, operate in a lot of cases because they have fluoridated compounds. Sadly, the dentists have begun to add fluoride to their filling materials, their cements, their, they even put a varnish on children's teeth. I don't believe these have been legitimately FDA approved. I've checked on them. There's no uh, new drug applications on file for fluoride to be ingested and none have been submitted. So if you're going to give a child a dose of fluoride, show me the FDA approval where that's beneficial and even safe. It doesn't exist. The medical system that tries to say we need to ingest fluoride that's really the only element they believe in. They won't recommend magnesium to reduce heart attacks. They won't recommend calcium. They won't recommend zinc for immune boosting function. They only believe in one element, and it's fluorine. Mm -hmm. You know, they, how come they don't look at the other elements that are needed? It's, 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 see, that's why it's very selective. It's a dogma. There is no you know, selenium waste product that they have to get rid of. That's why you don't hear about the benefits of selenium from industry. Right. But selenium is an anti-cancer element and most people are deficient in it. You know, chromium, trace element for blood sugar regulation. Most people are deficient in it. Why don't doctors and scientists say, let's put chromium in the water? Because they're not trying to get rid of it as a toxic waste. That's why. You know, if you look at the, the, the table of elements, you gotta consider the whole thing. It's not scientific to say, well, let's just put this one element in the water. Well, what about all these others? Water fluoridation is a hoax. It's not scientific, it's not good medicine, it's not public health policy. It's a, a desperate attempt by certain industries to eliminate a toxic poison by feeding it to the people and calling it public health when it's clearly waste disposal. It comes down to this? Yeah, the government's paying 35 dentists at the Center for Disease Control to go out and promote the addition of silico fluoride to the public drinking water. So it's making a lot of people who can't do dentistry money. Where money and power are is a magnet to criminals. And so Washington, D.C. becomes a vortex of evil. And I'll tell you, when you're controlled by a few people, which is the government, who controls the government? Money. Big money. And if they're about money, then we have a conflict of interest. We want our children to grow up healthy and strong, and they want to make profits. There are solutions out there. There are answers to this. There's a ways to get around and, and possibly clean up your system. What can we do? The best thing you can do is look at what the body's made of, which is water. Every living substance is composed of water. 
You know, people ask me, what's the easiest, simplest way to start regaining my health? I say, change the water. When you start flooding your body with water, if you have no access to anything else, no supplements, and eating clean foods, which would mean raw, organic fruits and vegetables, and if you have access to superfoods, which would be like corella, spirulina, blue-green algae, stuff like that, I still think that distilled water is the best. I recommend adding organic apple cider vinegar to their distilled water because what it does is it brings it back to life. You know, when you distilled water, you lose a lot, all the minerals in it. You know, it's a clean water, but it's not an active live water. So what I do and what I recommend, you can get a distiller for three or $400 and run your tap water right through the distillation unit and fill up your five gallon water containers and then every time that you fill it up, put a little cap full of organic apple cider vinegar in there, the raw kind, and then you're getting vital nutrients, live enzymes, probiotics, and it's just one of the cheapest, most effective ways to regain your health or to just, you know, give you a lot of good, active, live nutrients and it brings the water back to life. And, but, you know, the big problem is you can get the best water in the world to drink and cook with. But what are you going to do about your shower? In fact, I would even say don't shower in tap water. That's so toxic that, look, where, where I live now, I'm drinking and showering in either rainwater or well water. If we have the ability financially to purchase these filters and these purification systems, it is the most important investment you could make in your, for your family. You really need to invest in yourself, in your food, in what you're drinking and more than you are your clothes or your electronics or your car. It is the priority. When you accumulate all these chemicals in your body, you have to do something to get rid of it. The antidote to fluoride poisoning is calcium, magnesium, vitamin C, selenium, and iodine. And you can get rid of it with perspiration, which is saunas. You can get rid of it by drinking more water and having it go out in your urine. The right diet can bind to those elements and help clear them out. I'm not drinking any more water with fluoride. I'm not eating foods with fluoride. I'm not cooking my pasta rice soups with that fluoridated water. So I completely took it out of my diet. Considering the fact that fluoride toxicity has become a huge problem, kind of teamed up with Alex Jones and his staff over there. And I was asked, what can we do? There's no product on the market that targets specifically fluoride detoxification or fluoride cleansing. So I was asked to put something together that would do that. It's really a combination of six of the most potent compounds we could find working together in unison to help you eliminate or detoxify fluoride from your system on a regular basis. This product is something that people can take on a daily basis or take on a weekly basis or take to help their body naturally eliminate fluoride from their system. There are two strategies for really getting fluoride out of the water supply. One is that you can have the citizens, you know, protest, go to the city council meetings, rise up against the chemical tyrants, and demand clean water. Just demand clean water, that's it. And if more people would do something like this instead of just turning a blind eye, that's what's wrong with our country. People see wrongdoing, but they just pass it by, let somebody else take care of it. So I imagine you're kind of going to be the Lone Ranger standing up and saying, I don't want my water medicated anymore. We should be calling our congressmen and trying to say, hey, you know. What are you doing out there? What, 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 what are you doing around the well? 
That's our water. I should have to choose if I want fluoride in my water. Why am I demanded that I have to have fluoride in my water? If enough people will contact their legislators, contact them either through phone calls, through snail mail, I mean, if they get enough of that on a particular issue, by golly, they do set up and take notice. Go there and bitch, because that's your public servant, okay? Last time I checked, they work for you. You gotta get a lot of people angry enough that they'll go out and stand in the rain and tell the city council that they're not gonna get reelected if they don't do what we tell them. They're not gonna keep their seat if they continue to poison our water. If you follow the democratic process, then this issue has already been solved. Unite and let's make it happen because that's, I was thinking about it today, and I'll just wrap with this, but I was thinking about it today because I knew you were coming over, and I just sat there and I just, I literally just prayed to God. I said, God, I don't know what, there's gotta be a way. Open up a way that we can help this nation and the world get its health back and let health be the number one priority and profits this next not profits over health. And let's let people get the truth. This is all about us taking our world back. It's the time to scream louder, to be bolder, and to show them that we, got, we cannot be afraid. It's time that the people uh, stand up, the silent majority, for, for their health. Get it out of your community. And then you can drink the water at home, you can drink the water in your office, you can drink the water in the restaurants and in friends' houses, and so you don't have to worry anymore. The alleged reason for adding fluoride to the public water supply is to reduce tooth decay. But tooth decay isn't caused by a deficiency of fluoride. It's caused because there's scum on the teeth and bad diet. So the real solution is to take something like a nice toothbrush that was invented by C.C. Bass, cram it in the gums, and knock the scum off. So if you really wanted to reduce tooth decay, you'd make sure that every child had a big handful of toothbrushes and knew how to use them. And you dig all the scum off the gums because it's scum living on the teeth that causes tooth decay. I don't want to poison this scum, I want to scrub it off the teeth and then not feed it. So you don't give it sugar, white flour, and bad food, processed foods. You give it good foods then you will have wonderful teeth and abundant good health. Is there hope? There's always hope. I mean, that's what I tell everybody. Even when I had cancer patients, I always say, listen, there's always hope. When you feel healthy, you feel self-confident. And when you feel self-confident, you feel successful. So regardless of how bad things are, you can never lose hope. I mean, you always have to know that there's always change and there's always things you can do. Even if you do one tiny thing every single day, you're still positively changing. And if you tell one person or if you pass an email out or you share information, once we hit critical point, which we're almost at, it's like the hundredth monkey phenomenon, the mass consciousness will change. And I believe we're almost there. So never give up and always, no matter what, Never give up hope, because that's what you have. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're such a sweet, sweet soul. <laughs> Again, Charlie, thank you so much for letting us come by here today. Well, I would just like to say, great speech, man.
thank you for all your work you've done over the years and your discoveries and your journey and your just everything. Thank you so much. Appreciate You're it. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Uh, thank you, Paul. I'll You're a good you man. Too. You're the man. Okay, Thanks thank so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a treat. It's a pleasure to talk to you, and, and I'm hoping that this will get the message to more and more people. Now, this is fantastic. It's going to be a great educational tool, and, and we appreciate you being here. And thank you so much, and we'll look forward to, look forward to seeing you again. Likewise. Thanks for having me. You guys are incredibly powerful, and I want to say thank you for what you're doing for all of us. I really wish this project the greatest success. People need to hear this message from, from all, the, all of those that you've interviewed. This is powerful information, and uh, I imagine that in 50 years, people will be watching this. You know, some DVDs will survive. Yeah. Yeah. I just got the chills. <laughs> and they'll be watching this, and they'll look back and say, uh, there were some filmmakers who did know what they were covering who weren't willing to just sell out and, and do some explosions and on-screen sex and this and that. They actually had a message for humanity. That's what you guys are doing. let the credits play out here because I believe people deserve credit for their work and that was excellent and highly disturbing at the same time. We'll talk about that in a second. What did we learn? <laughs> Grow your own food. Don't eat processed food. Check the labels. Fluoride is poison. And you're right, Claire. Everyone is too dumb from, down from it to do anything about it. Well, not everyone. Some of the parallels in their narratives we've heard in the last two years. Safe and effective scientific consensus follow the money some of the other things that uh, they talked about your pineal gland fluoride calcifies your pineal gland do you know what decalcifies your pineal gland weed decalcifies your pineal gland so this film was dedicated to Jeff Green and Betty Kennedy. Sadly, they both passed away during the production of this film. They will be forever loved and missed. Paul Wittenberger, who is the filmmaker. So, Betty Kennedy, 19, December 19th, 1929. 
to September 4th, 2015. That's a very long life. And then Jeff Green, December 18th, 1946 to November 18th, 2014. Not such a long life. Yes, Cabal, iodine, selenium, bromium, um, yeah, that is why the government took it out of salt. You definitely need iodine, especially if you live, as we do, close to the ocean, um, because the, the salt water, the, the air actually leaches iodine out of you, so people that live uh, in the southeast tend to be especially iodine deficient. So distill your own water. I liked that uh, idea of adding apple cider, just a little bit of apple cider vinegar to your distilled water. Um, we were looking at buying, you know, trace minerals and whatnot, but I mean, we can make our own apple cider vinegar. So, and we'll actually learn how to do that on perhaps the next Freedom Gardens. We'll, we'll go into uh, making your own vinegar because we're going to need it to start canning here soon. We're going to have lots of food. Grow your own food, distill your own water. Um, taking a shower. Yes, that is disturbing. Um, if you can afford to get one of those uh, high-speed water filters to go on the main line of your house, do it. But make sure it's one that filters out fluorine or fluoride because not everybody, not everyone do. Like some of them are just salt water. Make your water softer. You want one that actually filters your water. It ain't cheap. Um, and uh, do not use fluoride toothpaste please people and as mick just got on me today when you use your non-fluoride toothpaste don't turn around and rinse your mouth out with fluoridated water use distilled water um so you know freshmouth.life that fluoride free nano silver toothpaste of course uh you know we had larry on he explained obviously fluoride's a poison but what do you do to keep your teeth from getting cavities? Now, uh, based on this documentary, I'd say that Larry was wrong when he said that, because he obviously hadn't seen this yet. I'm going to send it to him. Um, but he was wrong when he, he said that it does help with cavities. It does not. How do you keep from cavities? Well, don't drink any fluoride and uh, eat clean, healthy food. Don't eat sugar. Brush your teeth regularly with fluoride-free nano silver toothpaste. And I'll tell you that electric toothbrush is amazing. And then rinse your mouth out afterwards with distilled water. I, I love my ozone cup, um, my fresh mouth ozone cup. It's it's really awesome. So, of course, you guys know I love my dirt water. This is just regular distilled ozonated water because um, I already finished my dirt water for this morning. But uh, we need clean food and clean water to survive. That's That's the most important thing. Clean food and clean water. What else are you going to do? I mean, that's the basic of the basics. And as we've come to learn, can't trust anything, especially not the government. So I encourage you to go to your, your town council, your, your city hall, uh, whatever it is. Um, Tracy, hey, this filter on my sink and this water pitcher, do they filter fluoride or no? Probably not. I mean, look into it, but probably not. Most of them don't. 
That's why we distill our water. And uh, I mean, we got our distiller, you know, you can get one of the big ones that does five gallons at a time for you know, three, $400. We got a one gallon one to start. We, we are looking into getting a bigger one here soon, but we're constantly running the distiller. And I'll tell you what comes out of it. Like after you pour out your clean water, um, what's, or after it finishes distilling, what's left in that, that metal tub is freaking nasty. I mean, it is gross. Like when you start distilling your water and you look in there, you will never drink tap water again, seriously, because it is so gross. You're, I mean, you just, it's this like nasty, almost like gel-like gunk. It's so gross. Don't, don't, please don't drink that. Um, so distill your water, get your fresh mouth, fluoride-free nano silver toothpaste. All the other fluoride-free toothpastes are either owned by Crest or Colgate, which you know, they're, they're not out to help you. Um, and, uh, and honestly, they, the nano silver makes such a huge difference in restoring your enamel on your teeth. Um, the strength of your teeth and that electric toothbrush that they have, like you'll never go to the dentist again, honestly. Um, I, I had been lacking in changing the coil in my vape and it started to stain my teeth. And yesterday I just did a quick run of the whitening function of the electric toothpaste. And there, there we go. All that stain is gone. It's fantastic. Um, so yeah, freshmouth.life for your fresh mouth toothpaste. Please try and avoid fluoride as much as possible. Prozac, check your drugs, check your food labels. I mean, don't take processed synthetic drugs anyway, because they're freaking nasty, but, um, check your food labels. So in, uh, one last effort, we're hitting three hours here, but one last effort to decalcify our pineal glands and, um, tribute our friend, Justin. Oop. You want to get high? There we go. I do. So actually I'm going to do this. This is going to be fun. Let me see how this works. All right. Okay, you ready? We're sorry. We're not going to have a dial. Have been changed. The new number is... Thanks for the can. Scratches out over on the pillow side. So yes, Wolfpack, Wolverines. <laughs>
Claire, I don't know if they ship overseas. It's worth an ask. Go on the website, freshmouth.life, and see. I mean, the shipping might be a little prohibitive, but it's better than fluoride, right? I love you, Mary Jane. FBI knocks on your door. What do we tell him? Nah, bear. <laughs> Give him the nah, bear. Oh, FBI. Bob. All right. Anyway, so we'll be back tomorrow for a true spiracy for Mother's Day. Mick has some big Mother's Day surprise. He's still a little mad at me for apparently he has something planned for tomorrow morning that I wasn't aware of. And um, so I, you know, made plans with my mother because it's Mother's Day and didn't tell him because anyway, lack of communication always fucks you up. So uh, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. So we'll be back tomorrow afternoon, 2 p.m. for True Spiracy for Mother's Day. Um, anyone who doesn't make it because you're hanging out with your children or your moms, then happy early Mother's Day to all you moms out there. You're fantastic. And uh, we all appreciate you. So for just me, I'm going to go pick a nice clean salad to bring to my moms for dinner tonight. Y'all have a great day.
know it's coming and it's not going to be pretty. It's great to have storable food, but when that runs out, what are you going to do? Your best defense against the coming apocalypse is to have seeds so you can grow your own food. So I've been looking for various different seeds for the last couple of years and off the bat, almost all seed companies are the same as long as they're non-GMO, heirloom, yada, yada, but it's the following years that really concern me. 
So I bought a whole bunch of seeds last year. And when you get seeds, there's, there's a lot of seeds in a pack, a whole lot. You're probably not gonna use them all if you have a small garden. So you wanna make sure they last again the following year. So the best company I found for these seeds is called Survival Essentials. And when you go on their webpage, it says, your best defense against the coming apocalypse. So go to survival-essentials.com, save 10% with promo code DEFIANT and get ready because we're gonna need to eat. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't trust the food in the grocery store anymore. I don't trust it unless I can plant the seed with my own hands and watch it grow with my own eyes and know where it's coming from and feed it to my family. So survival-essentials.com, promo code DEFIANT, saves you 10%.